blitz. And what a catch! Randall Cobb with Hurst trying to get the ball away from him. But into the end zone, Randall Cobb. We had a week off, we had a guest host, and we had Steve Solo. But finally, after weeks, he is back. <laughs> yeah. I said uh, on Twitter yesterday, I tweeted, he's back or something like that. Or no, I tweeted, guess who's back? Yeah, I felt very missed. And it, the question, <laughs> the first response was, who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Welcome back, Don. Thanks. Uh, so, round two, tell us about it. Tell us uh, what went down, baby coming, coming home, all that. Give us the whole rundown of the last few weeks you had. Uh, the It was kind of weird. We had planned for an induction the morning that she went into labor, actually. at We were going to go into the hospital like 6.30 in the morning, something like that. And the little guy woke her up. At like four in the morning when she had contractions, so she never ended up actually being induced. He just came two hours before he was going to. A little bit late, I guess. He was a couple of days late, but it was a short labor, right? It, it was it was pretty quick. Yeah, they were worried that like she wasn't gonna have time to get her epidural or anything, so she did. She did. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. She was she was nervous. But uh it was relatively quick, no problems. Uh he came out very Huge. large. Yeah, the doctor even said, like I always said, I was saying, like doctors are pretty stone faced with with like their reactions and stuff. And we know this doctor; my mom works for her, so she might be a little bit more candid than she would with other people. But like, as soon as the head came out, she's like, "Whoa, this is a big baby!" Like he, he was almost ten pounds, like as close as you can be to ten pounds, pretty much. Now, did they say at all what this might mean for his dick? They didn't. No, I don't know. It looks tiny right now right well i know that but i'm right. just wondering if you know statistically maybe it shows that they may be a lot bigger with I, a big baby I or don't know no there's all no balls other. right now all balls right now well, all balls yep uh how is molly enjoying life as a no longer only child if that's the way she, you put it yeah she likes it so far i think i think the, the big thing is uh he can't take her toys yet so right now she enjoys it she loves him too much uh do you remember uh, what was it, Rugrats with Angelica, and she'd like kind of torture all, like hug the animals too hard. That's kind of where she's at now. She just loves them a little bit too hard sometimes. Not bad. And Michelle, it seems like it's doing well. I saw some pictures of her. I sent her a message like, "Damn, girl, you're getting that that figure back quick this time." Yeah, around. she yeah. did. She uh, the breastfeeding will do that, I guess, to you. So, have you tasted it? No, I won't. No. I she tried the first time too. To, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't blame you. It smells kind of gross. Well, welcome back. Uh, it's good to have you. The shows without you, they're they're not the same. Adam Lazarus, he did a great job, obviously, filling in, and we thank him for that. And I would act, absolutely, if for some reason we needed him to fill in again, I would, I would feel like he could do it for sure. Uh, so that was fine. And last week when I did it myself, it was okay, but it was a much different show. I didn't really do three things. You know, I just sort of talked for 10 minutes, did the interview, came back, talked for five minutes, and, and sure. turned out. Kind know. of like our athlete spotlight. Something like that. Done. Yeah, yeah. It was a, so it was a much different show. I didn't try to do what we do by myself because I just thought that that would be failure. 
So, but it, <laughs> it's good to be back. And and Don and I were talking before we we got rolling here, and um, you know, it, it's it's a new, uh, it's not a new start for us necessarily, but it's uh, you know, it's a new, it's it's almost like a little bit of a, a built-in reset, but. It won't be long before we're taking another break, as we always do over Christmas, Christmas anyway. Sure. So we only got – I'd assume we'll do a show every week right now until we take the two weeks off or right. three weeks off, whatever it ends up being uh, for Christmas. And then uh, we'll start season five already when we come back for that. So that's where we're at. And I'll throw it out there right now because I'm feeling really confident. The next big, big guest that's going to appear on the Sportscasters should be Al Michaels. That'd be great. Uh, you know, it's John Wertheim, uh, who's a great friend of this show. Uh, he's been on more times than anyone, not namely Jenkins. Ghost Ghost wrote a book with Al, and uh, we're working out the details. But that should be the next uh, book club book of the month, and Al should be in to talk about it. So as for today, we're going to close out a book club book of the month, and we're going to do a football spot as well. Uh, but we'll get everything started right now with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. I think what they call this in the uh, real world is a slow news day. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if, if my absence is, like, if you've got to work me back in like a, like an injured player, this is the week to do it, I guess. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a slow day, but we'll start off three things with our, our NFL, look around the NFL, and I think the first thing, uh, which bummed me out, actually, and I always get bummed when quarterbacks get hurt because it makes me realize there's a chance that the quarterback of my team can get hurt, which <laughs> I don't think I'm really prepared to deal with. Right. Uh, but Carson Palmer... Torres ACL, I guess you would call it an on-contact injury, right? Yeah, it sure didn't. It was weird. And it just kind of buckled on him. And uh, it's the day after, I believe the day or two days after or whatever, he signed a pretty big contract extension, which is good for him. Because there's some more guaranteed money in there. If right. for some reason he wouldn't come back. But I, I think, you know, generally speaking, quarterbacks can come back from ACLs a lot easier than, say, a running back or a wide receiver or yeah, he a wasn't. Could. He wasn't Michael Vick or no. Andrew he should be Luck able to uh, runs around to rehab that back, and and obviously we've seen RG three have trouble getting back from his, but that was a really blown out knee, and uh, that's a guy who needs to count on his mobility as well. But I've never liked Carson Palmer much as a player. I, I've got no problem with him as a person. Uh, but, but he found this a good is maybe fit. yeah his best the best he's ever played. They were arguably the best team in the league, and that's a big big loss. Now he's already missed games this year. Oh, early on. Yeah, yeah. He, he got hurt in week one and missed the next few. That's right. And Drew Stanton filled in, I think, decent enough that there were some people saying, should we just go right back to Carson Palmer when he comes back? Yeah. Not a huge uh, ground swelling for that, but there were some. Do you look at this as a knockout blow for the Cardinals? Do you look at it as this team no longer has a chance to win the Super Bowl? I don't. I'm not saying they run their offense similarly, but... I see this a little bit like what happened with the Eagles. Uh, I don't think the quarterback in Chip Kelly's offense is the most important piece as long as he's smart enough to run that offense. And I don't think Carson Paul – it's not like he was throwing for 350 yards a game and winning the games. They were uh, 
running a fairly conservative offense. Uh, a lot of short passes to Andre Ellington. Anyone that plays fantasy and owns Michael Floyd and Larry Fitzgerald knows that those guys have been really boomer bust this year because it just hasn't. It's been fairly safe the offense. So I don't think this is their strength. Uh, it doesn't help them, but I don't. I don't think they're necessarily done. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a knockout blow either. Uh, and and it, it's one of those situations where Drew Stanton has a chance to get Rob Johnson money, you know, or sure. uh, Matt Castle money, or name the QB who came in for a portion of the year and could prove that he had value. Because knowing that the Cardinals just extended Carson Palmer, their future is sort of tied in with him. Yeah. So they'll have a chance if Stanton can prove himself. He can be one of those guys that maybe ends up in Bill's camp next year or some other team yeah. who doesn't have a chance. I was reading uh, that there's two NFL, two huge NFL prospects at quarterback in the draft this year. Okay. And then a huge drop-off. Okay. So there'll be two guys in the first 10 picks and then maybe no one for 50 or 60 picks, I guess. So there's going to need to be other guys to move around if you're looking for a QB and you don't get get one of the top two. So be interesting. Uh, a great opportunity, obviously, for Stanton and a uh, tough blow for Palmer. And, yeah, these aren't these aren't meaningless games. These are going to be high pressure. Uh, I think they play Seattle twice still. So, I mean, these are going to be big games against good opponents and then the playoffs unless they really fall off the map. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. It's going to get a real uh, real trial, real tryout here. And big games. Yep. They're going to play big, big, big games. games. Uh, next up, Adrian Peterson has settled his legal beef. Yep. I think, at least in my mind, it settled the exact way I assumed it was. I never dreamed there'd be an Adrian Peterson child abuse trial. Uh, I just assumed that no, I didn't the either. state and Adrian would come to some kind of agreement as to what to do about this. And as we talked about when it happened, I think that the hope for me is that Adrian can learn to be a better dad in right. all this. And that's almost what I think, maybe I just haven't heard it, but that's the one piece I think that's missing from all of this. He has said, I mean, he's been cooperative. He's said, I just disciplined the way that I was disciplined. Uh, but the one thing I would have liked to hear is, but now I've gone and got some counseling or something. And that may have happened. I have no idea. I haven't sure. heard much from Adrian yet. No, I haven't either. Maybe. So I maybe don't know what he's done with his time. Maybe someone legally has told him it's a good idea just to keep quiet. But I mean, I think what you're going to get at here is, yeah, is what does the NFL do now? And how do they justify keeping, keeping him out? Longer? Right. Um, so it seems like that's what they'd like to do. Yeah. I think they're terrified. And I think someone even said this. I can't remember who, but if the Ray Rice video never comes out, Adrian Peterson probably has been playing part of this season already. Uh, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying we should only punish guys when videos come out because that seems ass backwards anyway. That was the whole problem with the Rice thing is he should have been had that suspension before the video came out. But uh, well, they, they are really going to be careful with what they do with him, but... I'm not sure legally they can keep him out. Basically, the union has filed agreements right, saying yep. that there was explicit language in the agreement that he made with the Vikings on September 18th saying that he would be able to come back when his legal matters were were finished. And they're finished. Uh, he pleaded, essentially he pleaded no contest to misdemeanor reckless assault, uh, which is uh, obviously not a felony. 
So uh, under the rules of the new collective bargaining agreement, someone has to rule on this within uh, five days. And they were going to have like an independent... Or they need a grievance within seven days and then a ruling within five. So they could still hold them out a couple weeks. Yeah. I I believe I, I saw why. a tweet that said they expected the decision to come down by the 22nd. I don't know what that date means necessarily, but I I would expect... I have him in a league that my team isn't doing in a fantasy league. Not that you, this should be about fantasy, but uh, in a league that my team isn't doing well, but there are keepers. So I tr- I'm trying to. I have traded him for a keeper, and my thought is he probably doesn't play this week. But I think we should have a pretty clear picture of his future this week. That's my guess. It's- well, and I would think that the NFL has a right to punish him under their personal conduct policy. I don't know that they have a right to punish him beyond what he's already been punished. And people have said, yes, he's been paid during that, but yeah, that doesn't mean he him. can't return that money. Sure, maybe you could punish him monetarily, right. And, uh, you know, essentially they say you violated the first violation of your domestic abuse policy. That's a six-game auto suspension now. You need to return the six-game checks you missed. You can come back immediately. Maybe that's the kind of a deal they work out. That said... Uh, even if the NFL comes out today and says he can play, he I think he's going to have a hurdle in Minnesota, whether or not they're going to let Sounds him like play. the locker room is ready to welcome him back. I'm sure Maybe they there's are. there's some issues in, in the front office. And we saw that, though, as soon as these this news came out. We saw people tweeting, like, what's the big deal? I was hit with this. You know what I mean? That I don't think culturally the players are going to have an issue with it. Um, there might be pressures from sponsors a little bit. I mean... We've talked about this before. I think it's an educa- it's a cultural and an education thing, and I, I like to th- think he's not a bad guy. I guess that's it. I, yeah, I, I mean, I've spent so much. It's hard to defend a guy that does that to his kid, but I've spent so many years and so much time, I guess, admiring if that's the right word, this guy. Uh, but that doesn't mean I wasn't deeply, really, kind of hurt or bothered by the news. I, I certainly was, and I guess as of right now. If I, if I take it away from Adrian Peterson, just to me, and I always say this with these things, is I don't think because you made a mistake, you should never be allowed to make a living anymore. Right. And people always come back with it. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean your living needs to be in the NFL. Sure. Well, but this is obviously the thing this guy far and away is most qualified to do. Right. So I, I don't know. I guess uh, there will be lawyers, as they say on Twitter. Yeah, and they'll have to sort all this out, I guess. Yeah, this won't be the last we talk about Adrian Peterson. And in the same camp, or in the similar camp, I suppose, is Richie Incognito has a tryout with who? The Browns? No, Broncos. 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 Uh, I don't see any reason why this guy shouldn't be allowed to play in the league. Yeah, I mean, he's not officially punished for anything, right? I, the I mean, only reason you don't have him on your team is if you think he's going to be a problem in your locker room. Right, and... We talked about this before, too. There were transcripts that came out. Um, it's hard. I am very anti-bullying, but it's hard to, to read all those texts back and forth and see it as anything but two guys kind of ball-busting each other. And Jonathan uh, Martin is playing in the league. Yeah. So, I mean, if Jonathan Martin didn't want the, the, the behavior that he got, he never mentioned in any of those text messages that he was uncomfortable with it or anything and then all we talked about this before too but i yeah this guy didn't do anything legally wrong if he's talented enough to play i guess you gotta let him play and 
I mean, this is. This and is, my guess is that's the way it'll work. I this don't, is a Riley Cooper issue more than it is a league issue, right? Riley Cooper dropped an N bomb at a concert or something on camera. He's still playing. He didn't do anything legally wrong. Just kind of like Incognito didn't do anything legally wrong. Uh, and Riley Cooper's been playing since that. He never missed anything. Yeah, I mean, Incognito's a 31 year old free agent. You know, so I think a lot of the challenges he's had in going, getting back into the league is being a 31-year-old guard who might be trouble in your locker room. Sure. Maybe not. I think that's a little bit of why we haven't seen Ray Rice yet. I mean, not that it's the way things should be, but if Ray Rice was DeMarco Murray, a young, talented guy, I think the Ravens might be pushing a little more to uh, – he wouldn't have been dropped. It's easy to drop – a however old Ray Rice is on the back end of his career and make it look like moral high ground. Same thing with Richie Incognito. No, we don't we don't want him because he he's a bad guy. Well, that's easy to say that he just might not be that great a player. Someone who is a great player at this point in his career is Patrick Willis and uh, the Niners who eked out a win against the Saints on Sunday are going to have to go it without him the rest of the year. Uh, Willis has a toe injury that was rumored on Sunday as to be uh, potentially significant, and uh, it is significant. Now, we could debate how big of a loss that is because uh, Chris Borland is the rookie linebacker who's been filling in for Willis, and he had 17 tackles against the Saints on Sunday to follow up his 18 tackles against the uh, Rams the week before. I'm sure we we say this every year, but the league seems extra weird this year to me, like in that... Is there a great team in the league right now? Like, it surprises me to look at their record and see that Detroit is seven and two. Uh, San Francisco's five and four, and they were probably a, some somebody's Super Bowl pick this year. New England started slow, and they're back to seven and two. Like, is New England the best team in the league right now? I would say the answer is probably New England or Denver, and you kind of got to give the edge to New England because they, they kinda, want head to head, right? Uh, just a real bizarre league. And Seattle's lost three games once at home. Uh, yeah, it'll be fun when the playoffs come around. Last thing, uh, the Steelers maybe hurt their playoff chances a little bit. Losing to the Jets of all teams, who had only won one game previously. And uh, the Steelers want you to know, don't blame Justin Bieber for the loss. It was not the Biebs' fault. Yeah, I, I was not blaming Justin Bieber for the loss. I was blaming the Steelers being the weirdest team in the league this year. Terry Bradshaw was uh, the one blaming the Biebs. Yeah. Yeah, so if Terry Bradshaw, I guess I gotta, I should take a step back then if Terry Bradshaw is going to blame it. Remember how we were saying it was a slow news day? Yeah. <laughs> Justin Bieber, I guess, cracking it is proof of that. Okay, so real quick on the Steelers before we move on to the next topic here. They've beaten this year uh, a good Cleveland team, all of a sudden a good Cleveland team. Houston, an okay team. Indy, and Baltimore. They've lost to Tampa Bay and the Jets. Like how Tampa Bay at home. Yeah, how do you how do you do that? If you're a team that I mean they're still six and four. They're they're they have a nice record still and I believe they'd be in a playoff spot. I'd have to double check that. They're right in there. Right in the Right, they're right in the mix. They've got as good a shot as anybody, but how do you do that? Like what a bizarre team. That that's all I got really about the Steelers. Yeah, I I don't know what to say about the Steelers either. Ben Roethlisberger threw 12 touchdown passes in two weeks. The Jets had had 11 all year up to that point. And uh, and lays an egg kind of against the Jets. Sorry, I mean, laid an egg. So. Yeah. Weird. Weird. All right. Uh, that's it for football this week. Number two thing. We sort of – I don't think I mentioned it at all 
on my solo show last week. But I want to thank Joe Villa from the WWE, who was kind enough to give me two tickets to attend a Monday Night Raw in Buffalo uh, last week. And Don, I made a list of three things I was hoping to see uh, at, at Raw. And the things on my list... Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> right. Of course, Ricky Steamboat number one. Uh, Hulk Hogan too. No. Uh, I, I figured it would be a modern event. So I listed appropriately. And the number one thing was uh, John Cena. I oh. wanted to see the uh, the next great star. You know, arguably the fourth biggest uh, in the history of the company. Well, he was out filming a uh, episode of Parks and Recreation. Oh. So I did not get to see that. You got to figure in the last. He's had about a twelve or thirteen year run on the top. Okay. You figure in that twelve or thirteen year run, he's probably appeared at ninety percent of the Monday Night Raws, <laughs> and that's a lot of them. So it's a wow. real, real bad luck for me to go to one where, you know, he wasn't there. But Parks and Recreation, when they call, you got to go film. Yeah, you, know, you can't. I like I like that show actually. Uh, the, so I missed out on that. The number two thing was an RKO. Which is the uh, finisher <laughs> from Randy Orton, which got I, fame on the internet. I love those videos. Yeah, the vines of Randy Orton delivering an RKO out of nowhere. And I was lucky enough to see three RKOs. Oh, really? And I also witnessed them writing Randy Orton out of the storyline uh, so that he can go film a movie. So even though I missed uh, I missed Cena due to acting uh, constraints, I was able to see the demise of... The temporary demise of Randy Orton. Okay. There was a lot of chance there. A lot of Kyle Orton chance all night. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I, whenever Randy Orton was around, oh, okay. a Kyle Orton chant was not far off. Gotcha. Uh, and then the third thing was uh, a Paul Heyman promo. Uh, but since the champion, uh, we're supposed to kind of forget there is one right now since they don't, doesn't appear he's going to appear until January. Really? Yeah. It's, this is mind-blowing. I'm going to save that for another time, but... uh. Heyman was not there to advocate for his client, Brock Lesnar. So I didn't get that. Okay. But uh, it was a good show overall. It was fun to be at an event. I enjoyed it. Uh, I got there around 7 o'clock, got my tickets. Uh, they were nice tickets, 200-level tickets, front row. Oh, nice. Ring was straight ahead. Uh, so it was very nice of them to leave a decent set of tickets for me. One of my friend Eric, who's a huge wrestling fan, he had been there already since 9 a.m. that day. Uh, trying to find the wrestlers and things like that. And uh, uh, the, the matches were fine. The event was cool. Vince McMahon was on TV for the first time in a year or two. So it was cool to see Vince, who's obviously an icon in the wrestling business. Arguably the most important person in wrestling ever. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that was cool. And uh, it was a good crowd. Uh, we got to see a title change. Which actually actually happened in a, a dark match after Raw. They had a match between Rusev, the American-hating Russian of the moment, okay, over uh, Sheamus, who was the United States champion, and they aired it exclusively on the WWE Network. Oh, okay. So we got to see that, and we got to see a title change. So that was cool. See a little uh, quote-unquote history, and I had a good time. I got a John Cena T-shirt, and uh, I. Watched the show, enjoyed it, and then I went with my friend Eric to the hotel that he heard the wrestlers were going to be at. And I told him, look it, I'll do this for a half an hour, and then I have to go home. How long did he stay? He, he came home with me. Oh, he did? Okay. And uh, we saw four wrestlers. Okay. Jerry the King Lawler, 
uh, who was arguing with a guy trying to get three figure signs so he could sell them on eBay. <laughs> and then we saw three divas. AJ Lee, who's married to CM Punk and is beautiful in okay. person. Beautiful. Uh, really pretty. Uh, she was seemed kind, signed, and pictured for everyone, whatever. Then we seen Paige, who is a pale-faced British girl who is not pretty and desperately tried to avoid the marks so badly that she knocked an 11-year-old over. Really? So then had to sort of stop and make sure she didn't hurt him and ended up <laughs> having... She was trying to kind of like just dash her way to the hallway where the elevator was. Okay. And she just ended up knocking down a kid who... They just kind of got to the same spot at the same time. So does Eric see her? Uh... Now, Eric didn't care about... These were none of the people that Eric wanted. So he didn't... You know, he didn't waste their time. Oh, okay. You know, he does this so often and so many he, times. Yeah, he can afford to he, skip people. He was just hoping to see Vince or Triple H. Gotcha. And then the third person we seen was uh, the big boo Bella, I believe. Nikki Bella, who dates John Cena. Okay. And she was pretty beautiful as well in person. One thing I'll say about the Divas, though, when you see them in person, they're so incredibly small that it's hard to believe they could hurt anyone, including each other. (laughs) You got to think that a diva could come along that would be big enough to just destroy all of them. Well, like they don't, they don't, that was like China, right? But then they wouldn't call her a diva probably. Yeah. What would you call China if she was involved now? I don't know. She was just a wrestler, right? I mean, she fought guys and yeah, I don't know. There's no equivalent of that, right? It was a good time, though. Is there anything you would think you'd want to ask me about my experience in Raw? It does. Okay, I haven't watched wrestling in a while. I, I watched it during like its second heyday. Uh, and the one thing I thought or think now and I happen to flip it on is Raw is so long. Way too long. Does it feel long oh, there? Yeah. yeah, like what? Well, you break it up, you know, you watch for a while and you go get an ice cream. Okay. You know, you come back, you watch for a while, the women's wrestle, you go get a t-shirt. And I don't know that kind of a thing. Yeah. I don't think I have any other questions. Uh, I did see posted on Twitter, Chris Hogan is a Bills wide receiver. Kind of a nice preseason. I ended up catching the ton of Bills there. Yeah. Yeah. There were Bills there. Uh, Someone said he missed out on a no. His thing when he scores a touchdown should be to hold his hand to his ear. I mean, his his name is Hogan. Right. I like it. So he he missed he missed an opportunity there. The biggest Bills mark you could tell by the reactions was Kyle Williams. Oh yeah, really into it. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Last thing, and um, we'll do it quickly. Uh, I spent my weekend in New Haven, sort of the last opening weekend of my brother's career as a Yale Bulldog, and it was a great time. Uh, I went on Thursday so that I could see a practice. I never got to see a practice, and I'll tell you what, it was a great practice. They really. Really high tempo, a lot of really cool things, worked on skills. Uh, the pace was really good. I thought the team looked good. Uh, they are not healthy, that's for sure. Not as healthy really? as you'd expect for the beginning of a season. Uh, they have one center who had back surgery. He's not going to be around until after Christmas. And uh, they've just got a couple other guys uh, banged up. But um, Anthony and uh, another probably very important player, Stu Wilson, who had missed the first weekend, a return to action for opening weekend uh, at home. And uh, they tied Clarkson 2-2, uh, two to two, which was no- notable for two reasons. It was a good game, uh, well played. One was that Buffalo native Joe Zarbo scored an absolutely 
beautiful goal. Oh, yeah? I mean, just an absolutely beautiful, skilled goal. And uh, Anthony scored the tying goal, which at the time uh, didn't look like much. It kind of looked like a shot, a quick shot to the net that absolutely should have been saved. And while I still think it absolutely should have been saved, it was a much better shot than I thought. I thought that the goalie had just really been caught badly out of position, and then Anthony had just kind of shot it into an opening there. But there was not much room to shoot at, uh, and he was uh, able to get it. Now, the goalie still got to stop it, uh, but it was a better shot than I thought. The next night was uh, not nearly as good against St. Lawrence. It was one of those uh, games where you could tell which team had played eight already and which team was playing you know, number four or whatever. Uh, because St. Lawrence just looked like a lot better on special teams, and they got an early lead and then basically just played the trap. I think the shots ended up being like 30-15 to 15 in a 4 nothing loss. Uh, but generally speaking, you're going to lose 100 out of 100 games where you give up three goals in the first six shots. Sure. And uh, you're especially going to lose them uh, when you're playing a road team who at that point then is just content to keep you outside and to not even try to score. Uh, basically the rest of the game, and that's what happened. So, uh, you know, when I the first time I went and seen them in the national championship season, it was the same result, a 2-2 tie and a 4 nothing loss, uh, because that's how it goes when you're an Ivy League team at the beginning of the year, and the teams you're facing are in midseason form. Yeah, I was going to say, where, that's stupid, right? Right, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Um. How do they? How do you expect them to be this year? I would expect them to be a top-four team in a good league. Okay. And then, like any any season, really in NCAA hockey, you need to get in. And if you can get in, you can make some noise when you're in there. Sure. So I would think that they will be they will finish in the league somewhere between one and six. And that might sound like a big gap, but the way the league is set up, you either want to finish in the first four to get a bye, or in the next four to host the first round. And I would assume they'll either be one of those teams on the bye or one of those teams hosting the first round. Okay. Uh, but it's going to depend on health. Can they get healthy? Uh, it's going to depend on a couple of the freshmen they need to use. Um, you know, there was, there's this one kid on the team who came from the development program. Mm-hmm. He's a freshman named Ryan Hitchcock. And he's a very good player. I just don't know if he's ready to do everything they'd like him to do. Right. You know, they want him to play center on one of the top two lines, you know, with John Hayden, who's maybe the the biggest prospect on the team right now. And they want him to play power play and maybe penalty kill. And I don't know if he's ready for all that. But uh, uh, they should be a good team. It's tough to judge from this weekend, like I said, because unfortunately they're catching a team in midseason form, two teams. And they weren't quite up to that just yet, especially the second night. You know, second night, they don't have the legs. Uh, That's their first back-to-back all year. You know, and they're not quite ready for that. Why would they do that? They they just have no choice. It's an Ivy League rule. No, no, no. I, I know that. Why play? Why open your season? Oh, you they are, don't make the schedule. Oh, they don't. They were league all. games. You know what I mean? So, so you have to play two in a row. Yeah, the ECAC makes the schedule, so you just got to play what's, what's on it, I guess. Yeah, that's tough. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Richard Deitch, am I the only one who thinks it was a problem that it took me 
six minutes before each baseball game to try to figure out what damn channel those games are on all October? All right, first off, as always, I appreciate the non-intro intro because you know I don't like it when you go through the resume because I find that's very boring for listeners. Uh, secondly, there's something going on with your um, sound. I don't want you to edit this out. I want this in there because I barely heard the theme music in the background. So I think there's – let's check that and get this production quality up a little bit higher to, you know, to let's say, you know, Grantland Jr. levels, even not even Grantland levels. So you check the – you check that. All right. In terms of the baseball playoffs, well, it kind of depends on, you know, whose point of view it is. You know, on the one hand, it's not a problem for Fox. Fox loved the fact that Fox Sports 1 was getting games. That's, you know, an incredible way to get awareness for their network, one of the best that they've had. They probably even liked that there was a game that started on Fox Sports 2, just to let people know that, hey, there's a Fox Sports 2 out there. Major League Baseball Network loved the fact that they got a game. Um, or two games, I think, from the right during these playoffs. So they like that. And I think Major League Baseball likes the fact that, you know, there's a number of different outlets paying them money. The question is, is it good for fans and viewers? And I would say probably not, because um, the simple truth is that Fox Sports 1 is still only in a limited amount of homes compared to your, you know, powerhouses like ESPN or even networks like NBC. I think if last I checked, Fox Sports 1 was maybe only in 80, 85 million, maybe it's even less, homes. It's not in every hotel room in the country. So, you know, if you're a hardcore baseball fan, there were, the unfortunately for you, there were some places that you just could not get some of these playoff games. And it's also just frustrating sometimes for viewers. You just don't know where to go. You know, you it's an alphabet soup. You know, there's a game on TBS one day. There's a game on Fox Sports 1. The next day, it's the playoffs. You figure um, there would be a little bit more kind of easy transactions, but baseball would counter, hey, you know, basketball, you know that you go to ESPN one day, you know you go to Turner the next day, so what's the big deal? So I see kind of see all sides on this, but um, but baseball made a commitment, and they got they to live with it. One thing I thought was really interesting during the uh, baseball playoffs, uh, and you've been a champion of uh, the poor treatment that women receive on Twitter uh, in regards to their sports coverage. And one thing I thought was really interesting was Aaron Andrews this fall. It seemed, right. it seemed like the criticism broke through that a little bit and was more about her versus Rosenthal and the idea that maybe Rosenthal outplayed her a little bit, if it's okay to use that analogy. And I was just curious what you thought about those two and how they each conducted their business during the uh, during the playoffs. That's interesting. It's an interesting analysis because I think in that case, um, I think there was more, if people were going to be critical of Aaron Andrews, it was far more about her performance, her journalistic performance, right. than her looks. Um, you know, one of that part of it is Aaron Andrews has been around for a long time, so I almost feel like even like the people who just troll out there just to sort of go off on women for the sake of trolling, um, you know, probably are not going to really hit Aaron Andrews the way they... Um, the way they hit others. It, yeah, I mean, in terms of performance, you know, I've said this uh, many times, it's not, it's not a, it's going to come off as a knock on Aaron Andrews, but it's less of a knock on Aaron Andrews and more of a, um, I, I would say a request for Fox to get people who are far more journalistically sound when it comes to that sport to do these post-game and mid-game interviews. I would prefer that someone who's covered Major League Baseball on a 12-month-a-year basis um, be the person on the field doing those interviews. And the thing is, Fox has them. John Paul Morosi is a longtime baseball guy. He's done a lot of TV now. 
and he can do that. Or if you want to, um, you know, if you're looking for diversity, which I totally respect, you know, outsource somebody like Meredith Morakovitz or um, um, Amy Gutierrez from the Giants. These are people who cover baseball on a, uh, and are on television on a 12-month basis. They ask really good questions, um, smart questions, and that's, I think, what you want with viewers. My, one of my things with Aaron Andrews, my, and this goes to football as well, is just too often I feel like she's an enabler of coaches and players and the league as opposed to a questioner, as opposed to a journalist. It feels too often like um, you know she's working for the league as opposed to working independently for me as a viewer. Now, that's just my point of view. People might say, hey, it's all entertainment. You know, if I wanted to face the nation or if I want to have front line, you know, I'd watch that stuff that shouldn't be on a sporting event. I can respect that. But for me, if you are in any kind of reporting position on television, I want you to be, I want you to have some journalistic bona fides. Um, and so I think Rosenthal, to praise his work, absolutely was there. That guy is, asks smart questions. It's very clear. Um, when you listen to his questions, they're specific and direct to game situation, player specific to player strength and weaknesses. You know, um, you you listen to him um, being um, you know being being a questioner, and he he clearly is watching what's in front of him and asking questions specific to everything that you're seeing, as opposed to the generic like you know. You told us yesterday that you know so and so was going to have a good game. Did you know what does it mean to have won this game? You know that that's those generic questions, and there's nothing wrong with them other than as a viewer, I don't learn anything. And when it comes to Rosenthal, I feel like I learned something. Yeah, I think a great point you made there was, and this is maybe lost a little bit in the criticisms, is that they just sort of put Aaron Andrews in the biggest stage of the sport just all of a sudden there. And expect right, her parachute down. Right, and expect her to compete with someone like you said, Rosenthal, who's in it day in, day out. And well, I, I didn't mean right. I would say she's, you know, they don't look at it like she's competing with Rosenthal. Just I know they your, don't. I know they don't. You're, you're, you know, they're all part right. of the same team. You're looking at that, right. um, but it's not the, the the you know Fox makes it this decision because they pay their talent a lot of money, and they want well known people to be on their broadcast. They believe Aaron is an asset to their broadcast for both her, you know, editorial ability and for her name recognition. And so that's why they do it. I'm with you. I would, and again, I I may be in the minority here. Um, I would rather have two people who we barely know who are great reporters on the sideline than quote-unquote name people. And my counter to Fox and any of those dudes would be like, hey, nobody in the world is tuning into your game for the sideline reporter. I'm sorry, it's a fact. The people are tuning into the game for the game. So why not make... Why not really assign the best journalistically sound people on the sidelines to do this? And I think some people, like Fred Gadelli of NBC Sports Network, who's the who's producer of Sunday Night Football, would agree with me. He'd be like, I want Tafoya there. I want Andrew Kramer there. I want bona fide journalist types. Fox is more about, I want television personalities on the sideline. So it's just more of an editorial philosophy than anything else. Yeah, you mentioned Fox Sports 1 in that answer uh, as far as the baseball playoffs go. They, they're here a year now. Uh, what's this, what, what, what kind of state of the union would they give us if they avoided the spin? Where are they really at one year, one year later? I think, um, you know, it's a mixed bag. I think, that, I think it's probably, you know, I think it's been a little, I think they haven't gotten as many viewers as they've wanted early on, but I don't think they... Um, privately thought somehow that they'd be challenging ESPN year one. I think their numbers are lower than they expected, but not 
you know, it's not a catastrophe. I think the the ball game for them is to continue to get recognition and continue to get more people knowing about your network, hopefully get more rights. Um, but, you know, they are now like a year and a half into this, and I would say like another year in, if they're at the same place where they are viewership-wise, uh, then they got to seriously start to think about, all right, well, what's going on here? I mean, this, this would be the bosses of Fox Sports bosses, not even just Fox Sports. My, my, I think for them, what's sort of been a very big loss is that they have not developed a single show, um, yep. let's say outside of UFC, that's, forget about a hit, that's even like a, sort of a moderate, interesting show. Fox Sports Live ratings are bad compared to where you would hope they would have been. But more than that, like, you know, whether it's the Regis show, whether it's America's pregame, whether it's any of these sort of auxiliary programs, they don't, they don't have one show that's destination viewing yet. And um, I think that has to, like, uh, that really must bother them, or if it's not, it should. Because, I mean, you know, it's a year and a half, and they got nothing that they could sort of say, all right, you know, he, this is a potential for us to be around the horn or PTI or whatever. Um you know, but again, the ball game in general is is live rights, and Fox has to just continue to try to acquire those if they really want to make it for the long haul. So the Big Ten rights are coming up. They have to be a player for that. You know, should they be a player for the EPL, that would be interesting. They should definitely be a player for CBS, uh, for the Thursday night package, try to take that away from CBS. Um, you know, they just got golf, the U.S. Open. So, you know, the, the ball game for Fox, if they really want to be a long-term player, is they got to keep trying to get live games because ultimately that's what's going to help you um, you know, on the back end and the front end of, of that when it comes to programming. Yeah, I mean, I think you sort of hit on it, but as a viewer, I mean, obviously I'm going to go there for the events. I'm going to go watch the NLCS there. But Correct. if I think about ESPN and what brings me there, it's either those types of events or something like 30 for 30 or right. PTI like you mentioned. And, and that's where I think, and yeah, I guess you mentioned it, so it's pointless for me to give my opinion, but I guess... No, I mean, no, no, you should, no, I mean, yeah. you should definitely, I mean, you, you, but you're right, though, like, that's, you make an excellent point. Like, and admittedly, this takes money and, research, and uh, resources, but like, has Fox given you anything, even as a one-off, which is like 30 for 30? I can't think of, you know, they, they've done a couple of cool things this year, but generally speaking, it's a year and a half, and they, they don't have a single kind of like a program where you're like, oh, wow, man, that that's kind of interesting. You know, um, they tried something different, and that's kind of cool. You know, like the kind of stuff that they're developing, like, you know, fantasy football show involving celebrities coming on telling you about their team. I mean, that, that that's like tired, old, just like not really thinking, like kind of programming. Um, you know, America's pregame. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Mike Hill's, a, you know, he's a good host. He's... Solid. But there's nothing. There's nothing different about. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's, it's. It, it, you can't beat. You can't out ESPN then. And Richard, so I, like, every network, I can think of something like even NBA TV. They gave me that awesome documentary on the Dream Team. Uh, Correct. You know, so I can go there. For, I went there for that, and then a few other documentaries. The Star and the Starters too, by the way. If you're a hardcore NBA fan, is an excellent. Uh, we love Taz. Malice. It's an excellent yeah. show. Taz yeah. is a, has been on several times. We love Taz. Uh, also, if I go to. The NHL Network, they've done the Oilers uh, documentary thing where they followed the Oilers around, things like that. Um, I Correct. can go to everyone. Everyone's got something CBS Sports like Network, that. if nothing else, they tried, you know, We Need to Talk, which has gotten some publicity with a you know, show just with only women broadcasters giving you opinion. But they've also had docs as well. And I'm not, I don't know if docs is the way to go. And Fox would be like, hey, you know, we, have, we had our show, um, which took place in a barbershop, which was interesting. And, 
again, I, they, they have to keep trying for that, but um, I must admit, given the resources and the dollars that they've had, their numbers are a little down now. They can't spend as much as they used to because they've been losing money. Um, I'm just surprised that they didn't they didn't get a hit. I think they really threw a lot of money at that Regis show, and it just it busted. It just didn't. Not that it was a bad show per se. It just it didn't catch on, and it really didn't know what it was. Um, they obviously also spent a lot of money on Fox Sports Live and talent, and I think that's another thing that's hurt them. I mean, if you look at the uh, you know, you look at the roster and you look around, like Donovan McNabb, Gary Payton, Roddick, um, you know, you just go down the list of all the people, who, Carissa Thompson, the Randy Canadian Moss. dudes. Yeah, yeah, but like, they, they, that's a lot of money in talent. And some of those talent, by the way, I like. Um, but that's a lot of money for talent, and you, you're really, on a general night, you're, you're not getting, you know, more than 90,000 viewers. That's, that's, that's a problem. I mean, that's... You're gonna have some hard decisions to make at a certain point because can you keep affording to pay people, you know, big six-figure salaries when you're, you know, you're drawing no- nothing basically. This is off the board a little bit, but I, th- I think you're the right guy to ask, and I'm always no, curious. stop with the, the I mean, the, I mean, the the the, the, the over-the-top like PRing and praise. Let me I mean, answer, you're a let me ask this the is question. Not, this is not Hollywood. If I wanted Hollywood, I would go on with a Los Angeles station and expect my ass to be kissed. Can you let me ask the question? From, if I'm going on with somebody from Buffalo, I expect something real. You know what I'm Give me some Pat LaFontaine. The That's reason what I, I thought you'd be Not the Matt right Kemp. guy to ask the question is because you're a wrestling fan to some degree. It wasn't right, an ass ahead. kiss at all. all I'm right, always, I'm always curious. Congratulations on getting married, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Have you talked about that on your podcast? We have with your yes. with your with your, co- with your partner. Oh, absolutely. He just had a baby as well. This is his first show back from uh, his second kid. So, no second kid. Yeah, second nice. kid for him. Yeah, boy, this time right. big one, almost ten pounds. So it's a boy and a girl. He's got a boy and a girl. Yeah. All right, nice. All right, yeah. go ahead. All right. So, I was curious when the WWE launched their network. I was curious right. if other leagues would be watching to see how they would use it, how they would utilize it, if it would be something that might innovate the way we watch sports in the future. And so far, you might say it's been a bit of a failure. Obviously, the stock price has taken a hit. They're only around about 730,000 uh, uh, viewers on it. They were hoping to be well over a million by this point. And I'm just curious if you think that on-demand type programming, the way the WWE was trying to innovate, if you could see that uh, becoming something in other sports, or if you think that maybe because they haven't had the initial success out of the gate, that that might just totally have killed that as a possibility. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not. You know, I think they they've done some things that are pretty interesting. Like you know, like they'll. Um you know, you go like to the WWE network, and they might have like a live conversation about like an event afterwards or something like that. Or um, yeah, I you call know, it you K- Fabe Sports Center. I call it because they talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, you know, the thing with the WWE, I wonder is that, like, I wonder if they if there is a sort of a finite line, like, on how many people they can really get. You know, the thing with like sports networks is, you know, the NFL there's there's 110 million people who watch the Super Bowl, so in theory. You know, you can get a big number to subscribe to the NFL Network because there's just sort of that many NFL fans. And um, you know, you just wonder. I don't know. You you might know this better than me. Like, what does Raw draw? Like three million people? Yeah, or am I low four, on that? No, about between three and four million. All right. So, like, yeah. so what you're really kind of hoping for there is like a quarter of that audience buys your extra product. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to sort of sit down and um, spend money. So. I think people are watching, and, I, and again, I, I wouldn't say that the uh, WWE Network is done. I think they're 
you're going to have to try to figure out a better way at this point to get more people to sort of think of it as like must viewing that I'll have. Um, you know, I don't, I, I haven't really done enough on it, but you know, the other thing that a lot of times you always wonder about this is the day, you know, should they have not put that number out in the marketplace? You know, if you put the number out, we want a quarter million subscribers after our first year and you hit that number, then you look like a success. Right, yeah, if you say we expect mistake. a million, you know what I mean? And then you only get a quarter of a million people think it's a fact. I mean, the fact is they still, they're getting nearly a million people to, pay money to watch their network and archives, which is pretty impressive. But, you know, you're seeing some of this stuff. You know, you're going to see, like, um, you know, you're going to see more of the megacast idea again for the national championship. And, you know, you saw what um, Turner did, at least, in terms of, uh, you know, giving you, like, uh, hiring local announcers to call the semifinals of the national championship. So I think you're going to see more of these interesting plays that are also going to morph online in terms of how can we provide value-added stuff for our... Um, you know, with the rights, with the rights that we have in sports. One thing you mentioned the finite uh, number of potential subscribers. One thing that they've done in the last couple of years, which is brilliant, is the Total Divas show on E. You know, and 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 featuring their their Divas division and and actually. I have not, not watched that, but that is that's a very good idea. I agree. Yeah, with you. I mean, my wife watches that and she hates wrestling, but. Uh, they found a way to bring her in to some degree, and then a couple weeks ago, I had some friends over watching the pay per view, and she wanted to come out and watch the Brie Bella match or whatever, you know. And so does that does that they, on that e show? Do they do they just hang around and talk, or is there wrestling on that show? No, it's very little wrestling. It's very much focused on their social lives, and it's very oh, much really like, behind the scenes. So yeah, that's, it's that's, like a Kardashian I like that. Of thing. Yeah, very smart. Yeah, I mean they they, they um to limited success, you know they they. They put like uh, Piper and uh, Flair, I think, on Wife Swap. You know, they've the, right. the WWE has always tried to get their people into more into the mainstream because they, um, you know, they think that gets more fans, and they're right about that. You know, I mean, the reason why the WrestleManias way back in the day became so big was that they crossed over. You know, you got Cindy Lauper, Cindy Lauper and Mr. T, who at the time were obviously major major stars. You know, to sort of be and Liberace to be sort of part of this, and that's where wrestling crossed over from this sort of. Uh, you know, um, very small subset to this much, much bigger place. Yeah, the rock and wrestling thing was the the dawn of Hulkamania. Was good. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I must, I've watched like, uh, you know, I've probably I've gotten back a little bit into it and watched Raw like the last, say on and off like the last nine months. I'm sorry, last nine nine weeks. Like, and I, I don't, you know, I I think that what I'm kind of like bored by is, and this is a tough problem for McMahon and companies. I, it, Centering everything around kind of John Cena is boring. He's a he's a, like to me, CM Punk, even Brock Lesnar are just far more, and certainly Paul Heyman are far more interesting characters than Cena, who I feel like you can only do so much with. Um, and maybe that's why they're trying to figure out stuff with the Authority, which is kind of a interesting story. I don't know. I feel like they're well in that period. Like they, could, had... they could use they could use another big something. Another big personality or something interesting. Right, and in that period, they've had horrible luck. I mean, Daniel Bryan, I don't know if you saw how over he was at WrestleMania, but he was one of the most right. over things I've seen. He goes out with an injury. They want to build true. Roman Reigns up. He goes out with an injury. Brock, right, that's true. Good Brock Lesnar has one leg in, one leg out. You know, they don't really know how much, how far they can go with him. So they've had a little bit of bad luck, and they have this... And, punk, and punk left, which was and big. punk left, right, exactly. And they had this ace in the hole of the possibility of turning Cena heel to have that rung like Hogan had in the NWO. Yeah, which the, I, I think would be smart. The problem is he's just so valuable to them as an asset to people below, to the kids. 
I mean, the number one. Yeah, no, that's true. You, I mean, you, he's, he's your baby face, right. and you and that's so you valuable. Don't, you don't you, you can't kill. You know, the one thing, and this is just somebody who likes old school, like myself. I, I am holding out hope that I wonder if you think that um, there's any way they can get Sting to do a one-off at a he WrestleMania. Is. He will. I would almost guarantee you, that happens. You think that's yeah. gonna happen? Yeah. You think he'll wrestle, or you think he'll just sort of come out? No, I think he'll have one match. I think I think it's almost. I think it's Ooh. almost a guarantee. Well, I I know if if he could have his choice, it's Undertaker. But I don't think anyone knows if he's if he's physically capable or interested at all. But I know that no, would be that his would be. choice. Yeah, that uh, would be great. I mean, that would be that'd be very interesting. Uh, we're here finishing up with Richard Deitch. Uh, it's been a while since we've been able to have him in. Excited to have him. New dad. How many? What? What's Lee Jenkins up to now in terms of uh, in terms of number of interviews that he's done? Uh, to preview the NBA season, we had him in for uh, number nineteen. That's and that's, that's that is absolutely the record, right? The, the most. Yeah, I think second. Is, second is John Wertheim, who's uh, I think at twelve, but he's slowing considerably now that he's an editor. You know, we don't we don't have he, we can't get him quite as often anymore. Cardi, what, what if I may make a suggestion, and maybe you've already had him on? You really should talk to Scott Price with an incredible piece that he has this week on the yeah, backup point it. guard it at West amazing. Point, who uh, had, was raised by two gay men and was. Um, the child of a woman who um, was addicted to crack. I, I mean, an incredible story. That would be worth, um, if Price is free, you calling him up and uh, and talking to him. We had, we had a great spot with uh, with uh, Mr. Price a few uh, months ago with him. We had him on at the same time as, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Bryn something, another guy who had written a book about Cuban baseball. And I had all, oh, nice. Yeah, we had a, a nice little roundtable about that, and I was so disappointed uh, when the thirty for thirty did the uh, the the Al Duque thing, that neither of those guys were a voice on that because they just spoke. Uh, so well, Steve 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 Fenneru, who wrote the Duke of Havana, was a voice on. Yeah, it. And he, he was, was great. A, he was really. Why good. not try to Why not try to get the brothers on together for a podcast? Like Al Duque and his brother? No, no. Well, oh. that would be awesome. But you need a translator. <laughs> no, the Fenneru, the Fenneru, Mark Fenerwada and Steve Fenneru. I, I hey, I'm, I'm open to it. League of Denial guys, yeah. or uh, you know, I'm trying. What, what's coming up here? Hockey. Have you had like a? Uh, well, you know what's coming uh, up on this show. Which we're have you had a Greg Wyszynski or somebody like that? Oh, of course. Uh, the puck daddy's right. always on. We're we're I am uh, preparing very feverishly to do the ultimate Al Michaels interview here soon, which is a huge get for us. I I know he's everywhere. That is a huge get for you. I know he's everywhere promoting a get a book right now, but uh, you know. Sometimes that's when we have to... Tells me I'm doing as much publicity as possible. <laughs> yeah, how right. does that come about? Did you reach out to... Oh, you know what? You have a connection to Bordfine. Yeah, That's right. That's how it started, really. But, nice. But, yeah, uh, good. I like, like that. Well, I, I will say this. As someone who's interviewed Al a number of times, he really is a good interview, and he's a really good interview for like a podcast. So, you know, he's done Simmons a number of times. I'm sure you've heard those. He's really, really good. You're going to have a lot of stuff to choose from. And he's got a million stories, so that'll be a good interview. It's a very good interview. Yeah, I had to skip your column this week because I have to stay away from that. Like, it's just it's really hard. And maybe this is me being silly, but I try to st- when I know I'm getting someone, I try to stay away from everything else they're doing. Yeah, otherwise, you, should, I know. you should read the you should read the book so you have oh absolutely because he, he's going to refer to the book a million times. Oh, I re- I do my research. Trust me, I yeah. I don't want to waste these guys' time. And we had uh, Christopher McDougal. This is something I wanted to talk to you about. We had Christopher McDougal last week uh, talking about editing the best American sports writing, the first one ever to not include an SI piece. And, no kidding. Yeah, and I asked him about that. I said, "What happened?" And he basically just said he gets them without without bylines completely. And he thought for sure he had a Thomas Lake piece in there, and didn't. And uh, he thought he had another one or two that were probably Sports Illustrated, and they just weren't. 
And he said something really funny to me about how he did find out a little bit later who had written the pieces, and uh, he thought two of the guys were dicks, and he wanted to pull them, but ultimately he decided. He decided. Yeah, that- I mean, I, I respect. I absolutely respect that. Um, you know, the 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 hard work that those editors have to do. I always feel like that's a bit of a. Um, I still think, as much as I respect that book, it, it always feels too mainstream for me, and that's someone who works in a mainstream place. Um, so I, you know, it always just kind of feels like it's always like. Um, and this is not to knock any of these guys, but it's always like Wright Thompson or it's always like, uh, um, Gary Smith. And it's always, you know, I kind of like when they go a little off the beaten path and, um, find some great, great work that, um, you know, that's not from the biggest places. I think that's just, I think that just goes to who's submitting it. I think it's just a lot easier. Could be. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's no doubt that there's a lot of, you know, knowing a lot of, uh, writers in this field, trust me, they're, if they're not submitting themselves, it's PR department too. I will say this in total honesty. I've only submitted one thing in my entire career to Best American Sports Writing, and I and I look back on it, and I was pretty funny. I think it was like 23, and I was like really proud of some feature I did in Buffalo. In fact, uh, although for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. It might have been on like Jim Richer or some bill. I forgot, and uh, you know, never heard from it again. But that is the only time I've ever submitted for uh, Best American Sports Writing and at my place. <clears throat> And I do not feel bad about it at all. There's just so many good writers and so many good takeout writers that that, that I'm, they're never going to submit anything I do because you know there's just too many guys ahead of me in terms of who do this like brilliant work, whether it's Price or Jenkins or Wertheim, et cetera. So, um, so I do. I hope my colleagues, because I know it means something to them, um, you know, are are you know win these awards and are part of this book. But it's never been something that's been that big a deal to me. I kind of like. Um, I kind of like actually using my Twitter feed to promote um, stuff that might not even, you know, that might not hit that book, but but that just was really good work done by somebody like in the middle of the country you've never heard of. So far, I think I've read three things that needed me in next year. The price piece we've been talking about, which I just read this week, which loved. I hadn't right. read it. Uh, the, uh, the Jerry Jones piece from the ESPN. Yeah, the Ma- okay. I'm sure that will be in it. And yep. the, the Tommy Tomlinson uh, piece about the quarterback. Oh, uh, Jared Lorenzen. Lorenzen. Yeah, yeah. That, that was great, too. I agree. Yeah. Those are all mainstream places, but um, I think those were all that, those were all terrific. I, I would agree with that. All right, well, I guess we're out of time. You can find Richard Deitch on Twitter, at Richard Deitch. And, of course, he writes for SportsIllustrated.com and the Monday Morning QB occasionally, which that, I think, is your best stuff. That thing you wrote from Bengals camp, I think, last year. I would have submitted that. Oh, Hard Knocks? I yeah, appreciate I that. I, I would disagree that's my best stuff, but uh, but I listen. I'll, well, take, I'll, take, maybe, I'll take any compliment I can get. Maybe best isn't right, but that's the most long-form type stuff you do is when you're writing over there. Obviously, the Yeah, yeah, they, I with. get more space right. with uh, Mr. King. Uh, so before we let you go, who are you fighting with? Right now online, I'm yeah. fighting with nobody. I'm no battles I'm, I'm, right I'm, I'm now. Finally down, man. Finally came in. Oh yeah, exactly. I'm, it's it's uh, it's I'm it's, I'm peace as you know as uh, Ringo Starr would say on how it's served. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace, peace and, and love. love. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's all, all peace right. and love. Now I'm sure it will not be long until there is some kind of battle. But at the moment, um, but you know, again, we talked about this. I, I always feel like I got a little bit of a bad rap. I, I generally speaking, I'm only battling with the same five people. It's sort of the you know, it's like sure. it's, it's, if it's a if it's a wrestling thing, it's generally speaking, it's the same five rivalries. You know, I'm not. I'm not like I'm not, I, you pretty much, if you read me or follow me, you kind of know who they are. So it's yeah. not like a, you know what I mean? It's not a big surprise. I can't stand the battles that are, are clearly uh, works. Like, I think, like, Pete Prisco yeah, battles with, like, Mark, some guy from Bleacher Report, and it's like... Yeah, there are, there are a lot of... I don't, I don't there are a lot of uh, There are a lot of works. I mean, 
I, I you know, a trainer sort of calls me on this. I'm the first to admit that sometimes during it, like especially a Twitter fight, I will sort of channel some wrestling characters, but it's never a work. I mean, if I'm on, if I'm pissed about something Lavelle has sort of done or written, it's honest. It's um, it's not a fake. But uh, but there's no doubt that, um, and you know, I, I would have copped to this for sure that when you were in the, when you're within the middle of it, you're sort of you know, you're channeling like your inner sting. But there's no doubt that, especially on Twitter, there's some guys who are I clearly feel um, forget about even just battling. There are just some people who are sort of like intentionally trying to be heels. I feel like to get more Twitter followers. <laughs> I, I got to get one more opinion from you, and then I got to call Chris Burke, and I'm sure you got to go. But, right, I like uh, Chris Burke. The Artie Lang thing. Uh, give me an opinion on that. And yeah, that was that bummed me out because, as you know, I'm a I big love fan. Artie. I love, love Artie. Artie. I yeah. interviewed Artie um, at so Sirius. Um, you know, whenever it was seven years ago, and he was great. Had a great conversation. Um, he can come back from this, though, right? I mean, yeah, he'll, I mean, I, I'm not even worried. He'll definitely come back. I'm not worried about that. I, 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 I've, I've, it's a weird place for me because I respect comics, and I think the line for them is different than the line for most everybody else. That said, um, he called out Gary Champion. He sort of put her into the I think marketplace by wrong. adding her, yeah. and I think he, I think he sort of went over the line a little bit. I, I, I think, you know, there's a. It's actually like the sex shit doesn't, you know. I mean, sex as a kind of a comic trope isn't a big deal to me at all. Uh, who, you know, who really cares? I mean, you know, sex is great and sex is part of all our lives. But 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 he used it within like a really bad kind of like um, slavery based, really kind of hardcore kind of racist base. I should racist, but you know, race. You know, using race as a kind of comic trope. And I think he, I don't know. I think. I like Carrie, and I know that she wasn't particularly fond of being put into the public sphere when she never asked for it, and that's where I think Lang went over the line. But here's the deal. It's not, you know, like, Artie has every right to do that. It's his Twitter feed, and then I would say, conversely, Comedy Central has every right to, like, pull him on a show, and that's how this these things should work. You know, ESPN has every right to then come out and blast him. You know, people are, like, getting mad at me if I say, like, you know... Um, you know, like you know, something like I thought Artie might have been over the line. Like I'm not saying Artie should be banned from working anymore, not at all. But 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 there are consequences. You know, it's a thing. Like if you say something about your employer, you can say it on your Twitter feed. But there are consequences if your employer gets pissed and wants to discipline you. Right. It's like so that's how I come off. It's it just and it, and it kind of bums me out because I really like um, I really like Artie. I really root for him too after everything he's gone through. And so you know, I, I kind of like I feel like he's funny enough where he didn't have to do that. All right, we can. Uh, it's got to be sh- uh, quicker around next time. Too too long in between appearances. But thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for the thank you for the invite as always. All right, man. All right, I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast. Before we get to Chris Burke, I just wanted to talk about having our Dion for a second. You know, obviously Richard Deitch has had a, an interesting relationship with the podcast. I don't want to – we had the huge thing with Twitter and the pictures, and that was something that we both uh, made happen. It was my idea, and it was his followers that, that really got it out there and made it a big thing. And we love having him on because it's it's fun. We – we, we battle with each other, and it's great. 
And you get so into the conversation, I feel like I don't know how we didn't get to Simmons. You know, one of the big things I wanted to talk about to get, get his opinion on Simmons and where he thinks he's at with ESPN. But, you know, Richard has, has written about that pretty extensively on SI. So you, it's out there for you if you want to check it out. No doubt about that. But we love having him in. Uh, joking with him is fun. Getting our balls busted by him is great. Uh, he's one of our best guests. I want to thank Richard for coming in. Uh, but I'm kicking myself a little bit for not getting into Simmons with him. And I almost left out the Artie Lang thing, but we did squeeze that in. So I was glad uh, we got to that. We're going to take a break and come back with Chris Burke. Our next guest is from Michigan and is a graduate of Michigan. Has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and associate producer for Fan House. Today he's back living in Michigan where he is a featured NFL blogger for SportsIllustrated.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our good friend, Chris Burke. What's up, Chris? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. You know, just uh, enjoying calm before another NFL storm here another weekend right tell me a little bit about just to get started tell me a little bit about uh the blog we were talking a little bit about off air and you said there's been some site design some reshuffling get everyone straight on what's going on where you're writing how you're writing it what your relationship is to uh, you know with doug and where everything's at right now as far as the blog goes yeah um we had uh we were doug and i were Audible, the Audible blog together for, uh, it was first me and then he came on and we did that last year and then, uh, SI went under a site redesign a few months ago, which has been tweaked now the last few weeks, but, uh, so they got rid of the, the specific sport by sport blogs. So Doug and I are now just kind of folded into all the general NFL content, um, which is still separate more or less from the MMQB, which is Peter King's sort of Grantland style right. site, uh, so, yeah, we're just doing, um, you know, a lot of normal stuff on there, power rankings and draft stuff is all focused in there. And uh, as mentioned to you, lots of video, and uh, we got a weekly podcast now, and Doug also has a podcast with uh, Greg Cosell, the NFL film guy, and uh, knows a ridiculous amount about everything in the NFL. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty good, and I think it's I think it's been going well for Tula. How do you like doing the podcast? Uh, I like it. Um, you know, I had uh still have. I don't really do a whole lot with it. I have a couple other guys that work on it now. But I, when I was between Fan House and uh, SI, I just put together like a Detroit sports blog because I'm living here. Um, and uh, we did a podcast on there. So, um, And we did one briefly back at Fan House. So I had some experience doing the regular ones. And then now this weekly one's good. I mean, it, it's uh, Doug's. With uh, Cosell's a little more X's and O's heavy. This one's sort of uh, sort of chips away a little bit at, at some topics we can't get to on the site, some things we can't necessarily write about. So um, it's good, and it's you know I think anytime Doug and I can do stuff together, you know we're all writing our separate pieces most of the time, but we have a couple things that we do together on the site, uh, writing wise and on the podcast too. 
So it's nice to sort of team up for those things. You know, one thing I've always enjoyed that you've done is your draft coverage, and you've done more and more the last couple of drafts, and I've been excited uh, since I knew we were gonna, going to talk today to talk to you about this receivers class. Uh, yeah. I think, I think I knew going into the draft last year that, well, I know as a Saints fan, I was hoping that they would get a receiver in the draft, uh, that there would be one of the guys left by the time it got to them, and they maybe had to move up to make it happen, but they did. Tell me a little bit about these guys, and it seems like they're all so different too. There's, there's you know the tall guy like Walk or like Benjamin, just the tall, long kind of guy. Watkins is sort of a mix of speed and size. You got Cooks, who's more of a burner. Just all these kind of different guys. Tell me what you thought about this rookie class, and 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 uh, who sticks out, and who maybe you're worried about long term. You know, it, right now, I mean, obviously it's early. We're ten weeks into their rookie seasons, but. Um, you're already sort of getting the impression that this might be, when you look back on it, one of the better wide receiver classes of all time, really. Um, and don't say that lightly because, uh, like I said, it's, it's early, but, you know, the, there's just so much talent. We've already seen guys step in, not just step in and play, but, you know, Watkins has been the number one guy for Buffalo all year. Benjamin has been the number one guy for Carolina. Um, Odell Beckham is now the number one guy for the Giants. Allen Robinson just got hurt, but he, he was Jacksonville's Legion receiver before that injury. Right. Um, you mentioned Cooks, I think, has been – I mean, I don't know where that offense would be without him, to be honest. Uh, he's just been so valuable for them. Um, so, that, And then you, not even getting into guys like Mike Evans and – uh, Jordan Matthews has been really hot for Philadelphia lately, and, and I Arizona. think you look down. Yeah, yeah, Ari- um, yeah. Arizona has a uh, fifteen. Uh, I can't think of his name for whatever reason. John Brown. John Brown. Yeah, um, had the big catch <laughs> to beat uh, to put him ahead against St. Louis. I mean, you you look up and down really, um, and I think that's sort of where every draft I think has you know sort of a handful of skill position guys, but this one. Uh, is deep at least in around four, you know, maybe even around five. Eventually, Martavis Bryant was a fourth rounder, um, and now that he, it took him a while to get into Pittsburgh's lineup, but he looks like the type of guy they've been missing across from Antonio Brown. He's that sort of red zone threat, someone that can stretch the field and go up and get it. And there's several of those guys. I mentioned Evans, we've seen Watkins and Benjamin do that. Um, it's really sort of indicative of what's been happening across the NFL, I think, and across college. You see more teams going to the spread and more teams throwing the football and uh, the rules favoring wide receivers and passing games more often now. So it, it sort of lends itself to there being more talent uh, emerging at that position and then being able to emerge earlier. But, yeah, this is, a, this is a really good rookie class, and I think next year's rookie class shapes up to be uh, I'm not sure if it will be as good, but it looks like it could be as good. Yeah, and I was going to sort of ask you if you thought it was just this special group who happened to all come out the same year, or if you thought it was sort of the way the game is just changing, and I think you sort of answered that it might be more a B than A. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. I mean, I don't know that you're going to see necessarily the sheer number of guys who have stepped in and, and immediately played critical roles on their offenses do that like we have this year. Um, 
But, yeah, I mean, you look ahead to next year, and I think Amari Cooper is a guy who might be a top-ten pick. And then behind him, there's – you could probably pick out at least five to seven other receivers right now that look like they're round one – potential round one picks. So, um, and, again, I think you're going to see that depth. I think we're going to see guys taking on day two, maybe even day three in this next class that, that can step in and compete. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think at that point, when you have it happen – possibly happen back-to-back years where you have a bunch of rookies from the same position kind of come in and, and play well. You look at what other factors might be going on. I, I guess it's just it's kind of fluky in in a way to have it happen, but I think re- receivers are coming into the NFL more prepared now, um, at least relative to what cornerbacks and safeties have to deal with going from college to the NFL. I think wide receivers just have a step up coming to the league, so we're seeing more of them produce early. Yeah, I don't I don't know what kind of great Sterling Shepard's going to get coming out of Oklahoma, but he's a guy that I, I've seen a lot of this year that I think is going to be dynamite just because he just finds the ball, and, and Trevor Knight is way below what I thought he might be as a quarterback, and uh, this guy gets those passes and gets the yards, and it's and it doesn't matter who, who they line up against him, really. I don't know if you had a chance to see Shepard at all, but he he's going to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, when you look at the class, um, that that's sort of what I mean because you you could probably rattle off like ten to fifteen ten, yeah. guys mm-hmm. before you even get to Shepard, um, and before right, you because he's not a prototype. Those. He did, he doesn't look like he should. He doesn't look like you know Watkins or Benjamin at all. So right, he's yeah. a smaller guy and. Right. Um, so you probably have to find the right fit for him, but um, yeah, I, I mean, again, it's it's just such a a really good a really good group of receivers, I think, and, and even in that conference, you know, another guy that's sort of yeah, not the same type of receiver, but another one that doesn't really fit the height bill, but still produces is Tyler Lockett from Kansas State. Um, it's like five eleven, five ten, it's probably going to be a slot guy, and. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, you think naturally, like, talking about Benjamin and Evans and those guys in, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, range, but we've certainly seen guys come into the league and guys producing this league without having that height. Like Brandon Cooks isn't, obviously, what is he, five ton? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Saints because one thing I've prided myself on as a lifelong Saints fan is I've always really had a really good feel for who and what they are as a team. And all summer people are coming up to me, you know, how good are the Saints going to be? And I would say very good. I have very high expectations. And I don't. now here we are, it's going to be, what, week 10 or whatever, and I still almost have no idea what they are. I, I can't get any feeling for them. They should be on a four-game winning streak right now. For some reason, they're not. They have four games that have been decided that they've lost uh, by with leads of like three or four points in the fourth quarter. No one else in the league has two. So I don't know if they're just this unbelievably stupid team that just can't find a way to win, and if they ever could, the wins would pile up, or if they're just a team that just isn't good enough to win those games. I, I'm, I'm stuck finding myself somewhere in the middle, and I just have no idea what to expect week to week, where in the past usually I'd be really close to thinking, they're going to win today or no, they're not, or whatever. Usually I was pretty close. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, they were my pick to win the NFC preseason, and then when we did our midseason picks, um, 
I actually stuck with them because I kept wait. I keep waiting for them, like you're saying, uh, to kind of turn the corner and just take off. And I don't know that anyone else necessarily. Uh, you know, Arizona's eight and one, and Detroit seven and two, and Philadelphia seven and two. But I don't know that anyone's necessarily separated itself themselves uh, in the NFC as a great unbeatable team. I mean, I think it's very much there for the taking. And I think the last four weeks have been pretty encouraging, even with. You know they they absolutely blew that game in Detroit. Right, they um, they should have they, won that they one. played an amazing fifty seven minutes. As strange as yeah, that might I mean, sound, I, yeah. You take away the Drew Brees interception uh, in the fourth quarter, and they win that game. And then you know the Forty ers game. Uh, that's still a good Forty ers team. Just a back and forth game. They obviously had the controversial hail mary gets taken away from them at Probably the end of the fourth quarter, and Probably then they uh, you know decided to punt. That was the one that I wasn't sure about. Decided to punt at the start of overtime. Did you hear his explanation? I didn't, no. He he said he was out of fourth down plays. Oh, no. I have no idea what that means. (laughs) What what do you mean you're out of fourth down plays? What what does that mean? No, I definitely did not hear that. (laughs) Uh, It was like fourth and two from what? Yeah, about fourth and one and a half from the 43. Yeah. And they punted into the end zone. Right. You know. You control I, you control the, the game at that point. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you go for it there, but I, I mean, anyway, I think it, I think it's still a team that, especially because of how awful the NFC South is, um, they should win it. They should win, and they right. and they might only need three more wins to win it. But I still think that they probably get to at least eight and eight, if only because they have four home games, and I, you know, there still might be a nine and seven, maybe even ten and sixteen if they can get really hot. Uh, and once they get into the playoffs, I mean, by the winning your division, you get a home game automatically. Um, and then, like I said, I don't necessarily, I mean, going into Seattle or Green Bay or even Philadelphia in, in January wouldn't be a lot of fun, but I think all those teams are beatable. Going into Arizona, Detroit, I think, you know, like I said, they could have beaten Detroit. Those are dome teams. It's not a, not a big worry. So, I, I mean, I think they're sort of on the brink. I still feel like they're going to get hot. That offense is still still has explosive personality. I mean, you, you know that they can take off pretty much at any point. And I think the defense has been certainly better of late, which is, uh, you know, take Jairus Bird out of the lineup and get better is kind of an unusual development, but it, it has been more consistently. So I still think it's a team to watch in the NFC and one that it wouldn't shock me if they end up, you know, going – through the playoffs, honestly. Keenan Lewis is maybe the most underrated player in the league. Yeah. There's just uh, nobody else back there, and he just he shuts down big name after big name every week. And it, part of it is the other side is so bad that the teams can just focus on picking on the other side. But, right. you know, the, the Packers didn't come into the Superdome thinking we're just not going to throw it to Jordy Nelson all night. It just wasn't there because Keenan Lewis is a stud. Yeah, like you said, without having other guys there, I mean, it's impressive when you can do it um, and you have those complimentary pieces in the secondary, but there hasn't really been any of those this year, especially with Bird not playing well. The Kyle um, struggled. You know, Patrick Robinson has been Horrible. awful at times. Yep. Um, I guess, you know, Corey White, same thing. Like, you can't really count on him to shut down anyone. So, I mean, it's been... And Stanley Jean-Baptiste was a guy, I think, I never really got the love for him pre-draft, but there were a lot of people that were high on him and, and his size and everything, athleticism. 
uh, and they've got nothing out of him. So, yeah, I mean, I think what Keenan Lewis has done this year has been impressive. Well, I don't want to make this all about the Saints, so let's change gears. <laughs> you talked about how you were going, you, you stuck with them uh, when you're, when you're, with your midseason pick. Well, if you had to do it over again, and for some reason they said, listen, you're crazy, don't do that to yourself and pick them again, who might you latch on to this time? Because it is really wide open, and it's hard to, to maybe get a feel who that team is. Um, you know, I I still like, and it's tough to say, it's it still does feel so wide open. I, I still think Green Bay is a really dangerous team, and I think they're going to end up winning the North. Um, and w- the way we've seen Aaron Rodgers play, uh, especially at home, you know that that's a team to be reckoned with certainly. And and I think their defense too, like the Saints, has been sort of steadily creeping along. It's not a great defense by any means, and the Saints obviously you know, hung 44 on them. But uh, aside from that Saints game, they've been playing pretty well for the for four or five games before that and now again against Chicago. And uh, So I, I, I don't, I still don't entirely trust that defense, but I think that's kind of the argument for all these teams. I mean, you look at, I think, Philadelphia, there are questions about the defense, and they're on, I mean, it's because Sanchez played well for one game, but can he carry them into the playoffs if he needs to? And, Arizona's on its backup quarterback. Detroit's been overachieving on defense and, and hasn't really been all that impressive on offense, frankly. And, and got a couple and you gifts. Just sort of, right. And you, you know, just kind of go up and down the line and, and pick out the warts on these teams. And, and so, uh, so I sort of lean towards Green Bay because I think they have the best quarterback in the conference and maybe in football right now. And, and, uh, obviously, it's more than just the one guy, but I think um, given the deficiencies elsewhere and what they're capable of offensively and, and having just enough defensively, I, I think that would be my pick if I was going with someone else. Well, I think and they're not even in the playoffs right now. Right. Well, I think it's easy for us to, to lean back on that, right, the most important position in all sports, but it really feels like a conference this year that's going to be won by the team who gets the best play from that position in January. It just feels like it's going to be one of those years where, you know, when everyone stacks up, it's going to be sort of even in which one of those guys can put it over the top. I, I don't know. Maybe that's simplifying it a little bit, but it just feels like one of those years where it might be as simple as that. No, I think I think it's definitely we're going to see a lot of games uh, in the playoffs, as we have throughout the regular season, really come down to those last-minute drives and, and those clutch situations and as that's obviously on the defense as much as it is on the quarterback, but you need a quarterback uh, when you get into those situations that can get the job done and doesn't kind of fold under pressure. And uh, other than, you know, other than Rodgers and Breeze, and I guess to some extent Kaepernick and Wilson, there aren't a lot of those guys in the NFC. I mean, even Kaepernick and Wilson, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much you would argue that Wilson had to do that last year in the playoffs in their run. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I I, I think it's wide open. Uh, I, I still think, you know, looking at their schedule and how they played at home, Green Bay's about to get really hot here. Do you think we're going to see Adrian Peterson this year? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think he's going to wind up being available to play again, and the NFL's going to—he's going to wind up being 
He's not even suspended technically at the moment. You know, he's on the exempt right. list waiting for all this to happen. So I think they'll probably tack on maybe a couple games uh, suspension there because he's been getting paid all along. So I'd, you could even argue that it hasn't been that much of a punishment for him. Uh, and, and that's really the X factor, how much the NFL comes back at with a suspension. Um, and they might just try to suspend him through the season and not worry about it really again this year. I'm not sure that would stick, but... They might try to do that. Uh, if he gets to the point where he's eligible again, I'm still not really sure because I don't know what the benefit is at this point for the Vikings to play him. Right. Um, it's sort of pointing towards one way or another, whether they're cutting him or trying to trade him in the offseason, him not being there next year. Uh, Jarek McKinnon's been really good for them. Matt Asiata's, they've got a nice little one-two combination there. They're sort of building that offense around Teddy Bridgewater with, uh, the guys that have been around, so I'm not really sure that they'd play him even if they could. They might just, you know, keep him inactive from week to week and and then try to deal with it somehow this off season. You know, I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but can the league say you're suspended for six games and uh, you know you can already have served those if you'd like if you return the money? Like, is that a, is that a possibility? Uh, I don't know that they would have him return the money, but I think the NFLPA certainly will argue that, you know, having sat out, and, and probably it's it's going to be at least another week before we get a ruling on this, so having sat out 11 weeks of the season uh, is punishment, and, and you shouldn't be able to suspend him on top of that. Um, so I think that would be the next step in the fight is, you know, how much leverage does the NFL really have to impose a suspension on him here. And I think the NFL, if it wants to, will find a way to do that because not only do you have the potential to suspend him for this, but we also have to keep in mind that he admitted recently to using marijuana while he's been on the exempt list. Right, and that, but that um, might be a first defense, which isn't a suspension, right? Right, and, but again, it's just another thing. Another thing against him. You know, right. the NFL mm-hmm. points at, at the off-field behavior. So I... I I think it's it's going to be tough for him to get back on the field because I think the NFL would prefer to not have him back on the field at this point this year, and then probably the Vikings would too, to be honest, just to avoid all the headaches that will come along with it. And then you sort of let it go through the offseason and, and let it cool down and try to get him back next year wherever he might play. But um, we'll see. The NFLPA is going to do whatever it can to make sure that he's not only getting paid, but getting paid to play football. All right, last thing, and I'll let you go because we got to touch on the AFC a little bit. And I know that there, this might be the year where there's a ten and six team that doesn't quite make the playoffs, which makes you think, "Wow, it's a stacked league." But the more I look at it, and the more I think about it, doesn't it feel like one of those years where it's just going to come down to Peyton versus Brady again? Uh, it it does, yeah. I mean, and, and especially given how Brady's been playing lately, and Gronkowski's healthy, and all those things, uh, it's just hard to even. I mean, I guess you could make a case for uh, maybe Indianapolis, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know how much I trust their defense against either of those teams. Um, and so you're asking Andrew Luck to score a ton of points, which is possible. I think they think they have a chance. And then, you know, I still look at Pittsburgh as sort of an outside sweeper in that fight because of what we have seen them do offensively. Um, and Ben Roethlisberger hasn't had a ton of success against Brady and the Patriots, but. You know, of the AFC North teams, obviously Cleveland's a good story, and Baltimore has had success lately. 
um, uh, of the AFC North teams. I think Pittsburgh's still the most dangerous because of that offense. Uh, so uh, there's possibilities. You never want to just skip ahead to the to the championship game because we see upsets every year. But right. it definitely feels, it like feels like it, yeah. we're headed towards Patriots Broncos because you know they're going to be. They're probably looking at having buys in the first round, which is huge. Uh, right. And New England is a little vulnerable there because of their upcoming schedule. But if it gets to that point where they're the one-two seeds, I'd be surprised if there's not a Patriots-Broncos AFC championship. Do you think we're going to hear anything more from San Diego this year? Are they more like the team we've seen the last few weeks, obviously very injured, or the one that just looked like a really good team in the league the first five or six weeks? Uh, I think they're going to make a little bit of noise here. As they come out of this bye, they should still be healthier, which is big. Their secondary was a mess right before their bye. They get Ryan Matthews back. Uh, and their run game hasn't been very good of late either. So they should be better balanced across the board. And they come out of the bye now. They're home for Oakland, home for St. Louis. So they should be 7-4. and four. Uh, And at that point, you know, their last five weeks, their schedule is pretty brutal. But at 7-4, and four, you've... You know, if you can just find some way to get two or three wins, you're you're right there. So, uh, I think we're still going to hear from them, and we've seen repeatedly from the Chargers in the past a knack for kind of getting hot right about now. Um, so, I wouldn't put it past Philip Rivers to just light it up for the next few weeks and and carry that team back into the playoffs again. All right, Chris, lay it out for everyone. Twitter, podcast, articles. Let's make sure we can find all this stuff laid out for the listeners. <laughs> uh, you can get me on Twitter at Chris Burke underscore SI. Um, all, like I said, all the stuff is is on Sports Illustrated, and there's a uh, and you go to the NFL section, but there's also uh, sort of separated out by uh, if you click on the menu in the top left corner and the SI Writers tab, you can pull up all my stuff individually. Uh, if you would like, and I would appreciate it if you did. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we have a weekly podcast, which now is up on iTunes and linked to every week, uh, Audible's podcast. You can go subscribe to that if, if you want, and that's that's the one Doug and I do together. So there uh, should be plenty around <laughs> if people are interested. And I, I try to respond as much as possible on Twitter, so if uh, you're into that sort of, back and forth interaction definitely definitely come hit me up there thanks a lot for doing this man we always love having you in yeah thanks for having me back alright talk to you soon I want to thank Christopher Burke Chris Burke from SI for being in really appreciate having him on to talk about the National Football League quick book club update and we're going to get to a book club interview after the update in a second, we're going to welcome David A. Dorsey to the podcast for the first time. He's an author of a book called Fourth Down in Dunbar, which is about life in a spot in South Florida near Fort Myers called Dunbar, a small area that has produced uh, incredible football stars like Deion Sanders, Javon Kirsten, and Sammy Watkins. But the book isn't exactly about that. It's about life in Dunbar and how thin the line can be between NFL superstar and your life just going off the rails a bit. So we're going to get to David in a second and talk to him about the book. And I recorded that spot last night and enjoyed it. So if you get if you can, please uh, please give David a, a read of Fourth Down in Dunbar. After today, we're going to focus on two new books. 
for the book club, and I did mention them last time. Uh, one is The Death of WCW. It's the 10th anniversary uh, of the best-selling classic, as they say, by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. We've had some fun talking wrestling on here from time to time. Uh, earlier in Three Things, Don and I talked about my trip to Raw. And, of course, David Shoemaker, who was our favorite uh, Grantland writer and uh, has an awesome book about wrestling we featured. So we're going to try this Death of WCW book and hopefully have R.D. and Brian on to talk about it. I like when we have two guests at once. That can be fun. And, of course, uh, another book we're going to start looking at is Hockey Card Stories by Ken Reed. Uh, this is a book primarily released in Canada, but I think you can get it anywhere. And uh, Ken works at Sportsnet. And we're going to bring Ken in and talk some hockey and talk about Hockey Card Stories uh, with him. One thing I was a little disappointed in when I got the book is so many of the hockey cards he writes about are very old cards. Uh, there's not a lot in here about any card that I ever collected. And, you know, I started collecting cards in 1986 or 87. So that was a little disappointing, but I haven't gotten into the book yet, and I will during the month here as we feature it. And then, of course, the other thing that I'm working really hard on right now beh- behind the scenes is the John Wertheim and Al Michaels book, and I'm going to make that happen, I promise. Uh, so I'm going to work on that and uh, make sure we get that spot. So let's take a break and come back with the author of Fourth Down in Dunbar, David A. Dorsey. Our next guest lives in Fort Myers, Florida, and was a graduate of Kansas. He is the author of Fourth Down in Dunbar, one of the books currently being featured as the book club book of the month, and he's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to David Dorsey. How's it going today, David? Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, exciting times in Fort Myers, Florida with Sammy Watkins, uh, asserting himself as maybe the best rookie in the NFL. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, obviously being in Buffalo, uh, one thing that attracted me to the book was learning a little bit more about uh, Sammy Watkins because he is obviously someone that the Bills, who are on a, what, 16-year playoff drought, uh, someone that the, uh, the the community and the team and the new owner are certainly hoping can uh, be a big part in changing that. And uh, we'll get to Sammy in a minute, but um, one thing that we always like to like to learn uh, maybe something a little bit different than others are curious in, but it works for us. When did you know that that this was a book? What, what, what? Tell me a little bit about about deciding to write Fourth Down in Dunbar and how that came about. Yeah, I got to Fort Myers straight out of KU in 1994 on a three month internship, and so you know it's not like I moved here studying out to write a book. I I moved here. Uh, setting out to find a job, and um, the internship kept getting extended, and it turned into a full-time job, and it evolved over the years. I've covered a lot of high school sports, a lot of high school football, and I still do, and in 06, I began covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and at the time, they had three players that all grew up in the Dunbar community. Uh, Ernest Graham, 
and uh, Philip Buchanan and Greg Spires. And that, you know, none of those guys are A-list guys by any means, but um, at that time, Ernest, Ernest Graham's brother was in prison, and that's sort of uh, kind of like when the seeds really... Uh, the seeds were planted before that, but that's really when they started to sprout and when I realized I had a theme in a, a book. Did this book in any way evolve from shorter pieces that you may have writ- written? Did you did you write a feature for a newspaper that you're working at about Graham and his brother? Did it evolve from there, or uh, was it sort of separate from that? Well, it was kind of like they kind of fueled each other, Um I found myself writing newspaper stories because uh, I found some a lot of my newspaper story ideas were because of the book and vice versa, if that makes any sense. Um, and the original idea behind the book, I was going to call it something different. I was going to call it Tales and Tailbacks from the 239. And the 239 is the area code in southwest Florida that covers... Uh, Fort Myers and Naples, and I was going to write about all the athletes from the area and not just from the Dunbar community, and I drove out to Immokalee, which is a small farming town east of Fort Myers, and Edgar and James grew up there, and I would, I, would, I met Edgar and James over many a late night snack at this um, casino, the Indian casino out there. And so I had about 100 pages on Edgar and James uh, that were going to be in the original book, and I ended up eliminating it. Um, And that was because I started talking to some literary agents, and they told me that I needed to have a theme and a more of a narrower focus. And uh, Edgar and Fred is a compelling uh, as compelling a life story as Edgar James is, he didn't grow up in the same area as Deion Sanders and Sammy Watkins and all the rest of the guys from Dunbar. Yeah, you know, it's, this idea of, of these all of these incredible athletes coming from one area has always been sort of fascinating to us on the show. Uh, growing up in Buffalo here, there's an area of Buffalo called South Buffalo, which is where Patrick Kane is from, and uh, also several other NHL players uh, around the same age as Patrick Kane. Uh, emerged from that area. And we've also talked with S.L. Price on the show uh, about Al Quippa. He's working on a book about football players from Al Quippa, which I believe is uh, near Pittsburgh, uh, near the airport in Pittsburgh, and, and he's focused on that. And it seems like your book on Dunbar sort of starts... Well, you start you go w- even further back than Deion Sanders, and you start with the... O- the book actually starts with the origins of football scholarships in the area. But the the main focus of the book and the main athlete sort of begins with begins with Deion Sanders and is this a case of Deion Sanders uh, sort of um, being the the jumping point for all these guys that like do you notice uh, guys wanting to be cornerbacks wanting to be a Deion is Deion really the the jump off? Well, that's a good question. Um, Dion, Dion really changed a lot in Fort Myers in that, you know, he, he went to high school at North Fort Myers High and graduated in 1985. And that's really when 
kind of like college football recruiting really started to take off and being really big time. And uh, by that point, up to that point, uh, Fort Myers wasn't a very big hot spot for college football recruiters. They'd be in Miami for the most part in Fort Lauderdale and um, to a lesser extent Tampa uh, when it comes to Florida I'm talking about. And um, when Deion came out of here, that was like, wait a minute, you know, there's this whole other part of Florida. And a lot of college football coaches realized that not many people were coming to Fort Myers to get the players. So they would, they, this became a stopping point in Fort Myers, Florida amongst the Miamis and Florida states and then eventually Ohio state. And, uh, you know, nowadays every, every major college football program has someone check out Southwest Florida, uh, every season. I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're a destination. I mean, we're not, we don't have the, uh, the quantity that that Miami Dade County has, but we certainly could measure up with some of the quality. Yeah, you know, one thing that's always interested me when we when it gets into a discussion about high school football is is what states are the. It seems like there's a few states, and so many players come from there. Obviously, California and Texas and Florida are huge. Uh, Ohio and 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 uh, Pennsylvania also, but. In terms of this small area of Ohio, or of Florida that you, that you have been focusing on, uh, what is the what is it like uh, in terms of the players ending up at the at the at the high schools? Is there a real battle to get a guy like Dion, or, or let's even go a little bit uh, more current? When Sammy Watkins was about to be a freshman, um, was it just accepted that he would go to the high school that he grew up in in that district, or is there more of a battle to get players even at that level to play at? Uh, is there a stacking of the schools? Tell me a little bit about the landscape of where these guys are playing high school football and how that comes about. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Fort Dunn and Dunbar. So you got you got with Sammy Watkins. He's on the cover, and you know your Buffalo Bills moved up. They traded up because they wanted him, right? And so he was kind of recruited in that way, where you know in NFL you kind of recruit guys too, where you. Where they visit the teams and the, and they do the interviews and and then college football they're recruiting too right obviously high school football in Fort Myers Lee County there's stuff that's going on, that goes on behind the scenes um, we have about 17 high schools in Lee County and there's a thing here called school choice where you rank the three schools that you want in order, uh, you know, and, and the, you rank them, and then you end up get, being assigned. Um, and so there's not neighborhood schools. So like an athlete like Sammy Watkins, who knows what's going on behind the scenes amongst coaches at various schools who are trying to woo him to choose him number one. Um, but he ended up going to South Fort Myers High, and... Uh, which is a high school about maybe six miles away from where he could have gone to Dunbar High. And that's just an example where Sammy Watkins ended up, you know, leaving the Dunbar community to go to high school. And um, and that's what happens uh, going back to, like, Dion. Dion actually uh, faked an address and <laughs> went to Fort Myers High as a freshman. 
And uh, he faked the address because he there was a certain coach at Fort Myers High he wanted to play for, and North Fort Myers High uh, found out and cried foul. And then the uh, you know the next year Dion had to transfer to North Fort Myers High. So there's a lot of shenanigans. That's uh, kind of amusing at sometimes uh, to watch what what goes on behind the scenes in uh, Fort Myers when it comes to high school football and potential or possible recruiting. You know, this, when I got this book and I, I started to look through it and, and see what it was about, one of the first things that came to my mind is, wow, with all this talent in such a small area, it must be nuts uh, when these guys are in the 8th, ninth grade trying to get them uh, into schools. And, and you touch on it a bit in the book. The book is called Fourth Down in Dunbar, you say, because a lot of these guys start their lives uh, in fourth down, so to speak, uh, using a football analogy. And, uh, you know, some people might think it's just a book about football and football players from a certain area, but it's also about the other side of their lives and what happens, where they're from, the streets and things like that. And the Javon Curse section uh, comes to mind as one that was particularly violent uh, and sad. Uh, talk, to, talk to the listeners a little bit about that other side of it, because I think people can picture... Uh, Sammy Watkins and Deion Sanders and Javon Curse for sure, and what that might be like. But I think that's another side. The other side to this book is a side that some of our re- our, our listeners just can't even imagine. Well, Javon Curse is a guy who had seven family members murdered, including his own father. Uh, Twenty-four. He right? was killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Javon's father was murdered eight months before Javon was even born. Yeah. And and so Javon Curse entered this world in the mid nineteen seventies already already behind, you know. Um, and another common thread with all the guys I profile on Fourth Down Dunbar is the lack of fathers in the home. Um, where and for one reason or another, like in Javon's case that was out of his control. Um Dion's father and stepfather both struggled with substance abuse and addictions, and um, and uh, and Jamie German's parents split up, and uh, Ernest Graham's dad went to prison for a while. Mario Henderson never knew his dad, uh, never even knew who he was, and Terrence Cody, who played for the Baltimore Ravens, his father died in a car accident. And so you have this common thread of lack of fathers, and you also have behind that very strong women in their lives. And mothers often uh, took up the slack and worked multiple jobs and really inspired their children uh, and helped connect them with with uh, male role models that usually ended up being a high school football coach. Um, but the other thing is, you, and, and you're really onto something with, this being more than a football book, um, guys, I kind of disguised—I kind of disguised Fourth Down and Dunbar as a football book, uh, but it's really a history book, and I did it that way because the guys that I really think will benefit from reading it are at-risk kids in Fort Myers and hopefully, you know, up in Buffalo or any you know other parts of the country uh, where where you got these same. Uh, same issues. Um, I want them to benefit from it, and I'm getting a lot of good feedback where guys are telling me, "Hey, this is, you know, I never read books, and uh, unless uh, unless they make me at school, 
uh, reason, you know, and and they're enjoying it. And they're getting a lot out of it, and they're learning a lot of life lessons from it. The sportscaster here with David A. Dunbar, author of Fourth Down and Dunbar, a book we've been reading as part of our book club book of the month. And as he said, yeah, it's a, f- a football book on the cover, but it, there's a lot more to it. Uh, one thing we always ask uh, authors who are part of the book club and we're fascinated by the responses is the idea of access. And you have a really great line, uh, which made me laugh right out of the gate in the actually the second par- paragraph of the book. And you're talking about Deion Sanders, and you say, after our interview, he pretty much ignored me too. And uh, and that just it, it made me think about how frustrating it must be for you guys out there trying to write these books. Uh, tell me a little bit about who really helped, who was cooperative, who were the best guys, who'd you get the best stuff from, and is there a guy or two out there you wish you could have got more from? Maybe that would have made it a little bit better book if you could have got just a little bit more cooperation on that end. That that's a fun question because um, I'll tell you about a couple guys. Ronnie Tate, he's the the crack cocaine dealer from uh, from Chapter 7 of Fourth Down in Dunbar. And uh, this is where, you know, I like that TV show, The Wire. I, I kind of wanted to maybe it sort of influenced me to, to have Ronnie Chape in the story because Ronnie Chape was The Wire before The Wire was The Wire. And uh, it took me two years to get Ronnie Chape to talk to me. And... Um, I finally connected with him through his attorney and she convinced him that it would be a good idea to tell, uh, tell me his story from his point of view. Otherwise I would have gotten everything from courtroom documents and it would have been a little bit stale. Uh, but I ended up going to prison, uh, Coleman correctional, which is up kind of in between Tampa and Gainesville. And uh, I had the opportunity twice to meet with Ronnie Tate. And Ronnie Tate, he spent 27 years in prison, and he was released on September 24th, which was the day after 4th Down in Dunbar was released. Um, now, the other guy that I didn't get any cooperation from was Noel Devine, who had a standout career at West Virginia, Virginia yep. and spent less than a week with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And Noel, you know, I'd, I interviewed Noel at length when he was in high school, and he wasn't very pleased with the articles I wrote back then. And ever since then, I've never been able to get him to talk to me. And so the Noel Devine chapter, um, I wish I could have gotten more from him for that. And I think it, I think it could have been a, a media chapter if I had gotten more from Noel Devine, and I know most authors aren't going to be honest about that uh, talking on the show. But so guess guess what happens when I had my launch party for the book? At the end of the party, guess who showed up? <laughs> Your boy, <laughs> Noel Devine. He comes in to the launch party, and I you know I hadn't seen Noel since. Um, his last bowl game and uh, for West Virginia and I was trying to interview him after that bowl game and he he dissed me, he ran away from me. Like a, for as tough as he was to catch on the field he's always tougher to catch off the field for me. And so he comes in and I about faded. I couldn't believe it. I'm like what are you doing here? And he's like well hey I wanted to show you my support and uh, 
and um, I got him to sign three or four books for me. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's a, that's crazy. It's it's yeah. it's too bad. It's you, you had to you had to just be like, man, too bad you couldn't have just done this before. You could have been such a bigger part of the book, right? Well, I think with Noel, a lot of it is he matured so much, uh, even from the end of college to now. Um, and he just he just gone through so much in his life, and you know that all that stuff is in Fort Down and Dunbar in the chapter about him, what he went through as a child, and what he didn't have in his life. Um, but uh, I think that after he after his NFL dream sort of ended, and he ended up he's in the Canadian Football League right now. He is and, with Edmonton, I think. And the, yeah, but he, you know the reason why he showed up at, at my event was because he tore his knee up, and uh, so he he's not playing right now, and, and he's just trying to rehab from that. But um, I just think he's a guy. He's one of these guys that really grew up even after college. And I think you see that in certain guys that where they're told, you know, they're told for the longest time that they're the best, they're the best, they're the best. And sometimes when that dream ends, um, some of them go down the tubes and some of them rise up. And I think Noel Devine is one of the guys that's going to rise up. You know, one thing that we've talked about on Twitter a little bit is, and I'm, either uh, you and I have talked about this or I've noticed in, in other tweets that you've made, is you've really found a nice audience for the book down in Florida, in, in the Fort Myers area there. Obviously, people are interested in hearing the story where they're from, and you've been really working hard to try to, to build an audience beyond this, uh, beyond that area, and that's part of the reason why you're with us today. Uh, have you found some success uh, in that area? What What has uh, proved to be the most challenging thing about that for you? Well, I guess the most challenging thing is exposure. Um, and I have a big advantage working for a newspaper, the Fort Myers News Press, and I can kind of... Con- I have a little bit of control over the kind of exposure I'm going to get in Fort Myers. And so, um, and I've been here for 20 years, so I can, I'm able to get on TV if I need to get on TV. Um, I can get on the radio. You know, I can get in the newspaper. But I, I can't, I can't do that on a regular basis in, in Buffalo or St. Louis or Los Angeles. And I'm really working really diligently to try to get other markets to know about Fourth Down and Dunbar. Um, and the publisher, it's the University of Press of Florida, you know, they're limited with the marketing budget. Um, you know, they can they can send a book to whoever I want them to send a book to. And, but I, I have a full-time job, and I'm, I'm a father and a husband, so, you know, I... I'm kind of limited on how much time I can spend on on uh, plugging the book, but I'll tell you this, though. I mean, they, they told me this is a marathon and not a sprint, and I wouldn't have written the book if I didn't think it could catch on nationally. Um, I'm hoping to try and market it as, like, Friday Night Lights for a new generation. Um, there's some elements that are kind of like the blind side in there as far as some of the different athletes living with surrogate parents. Um, so, you know, I'm just uh, plugging away. You know, I'm having fun with it, and I'll, I'll see, uh, I look forward to seeing the next path that the book takes me. 
Well, I know that when uh, uh, one thing I noticed as I was preparing for the interview is uh, John Murphy was able to give you some time on his show on WGR up here in Buffalo, and I actually had talked to some people in the area when I mentioned uh, the book, and they had mentioned hearing you on there. And obviously the reason Buffalo might be interested in this book, as we've uh, clued in a couple times here, is, is Sammy Watkins. And I was worried for Buffalo a little bit when they picked Watkins just because his career at Clemson was a little strange to me. The way he came in dominated, uh, just dominated the game such a high level. And then it seemed like he kind of backed off for a while, then dominated that bowl game right before uh, the draft again. And I was worried that maybe uh, he might be looking out for himself a little bit too much to make a huge impact. And uh, luckily so far I've been wrong. He's, he's really integrated into the community well. Uh, people really enjoy him here. He's been great on the field, so I'm glad I've been wrong about that. Uh, from from your work, uh, knowing him obviously from a younger age and uh, covering him as a high schooler, uh, what's the one thing that you would want to tell people in Buffalo about what they got in Sammy Watkins beyond the field? Because it's all very obvious to us how great he's going to be there. Well, gosh, one of the one of the most incredible highlights I've seen in 20 years covering high school football involves Sammy. And, uh, and I, I discovered it more accurately in Fourth Down and Dunbar, but he, they're playing Bradenton Southeast in a uh, playoff game, and they, they punted to Sammy, which is a big mistake right there. But as soon as Sammy Watkins caught the ball, he's about 60 yards from the end zone. Uh, one of his teammates, instead of like getting ready to throw a block, raised both hands up in the air signaling touchdown. <laughs> and then, like, I never see anything like it, where, like, this kid, he was right in the middle of the field, he was in the perfect position to, like, try and throw a block to help his teammate. He just stood there with his arms up in the air, signaling touchdown, and, you know, like, like 5.2 seconds later, that's exactly what we got. And the Sammy Watkins is a very driven young man who uh, I think he wants to join the pantheon of not just great wide receivers, but of players who have redefined the game. And so, you know, he grew up in Harlem Lakes, which is a neighborhood within Dunbar. And Harlem Lakes... You know, just about every time I went to Sammy Watkins' house, I would hear gunshots. I mean, that's the type of neighborhood we're talking about. And this is a small town. You know, I mean, this is not Chicago. Um, but he always wanted to rise above everything that was surrounding him. But the other thing is, he's got Deion Sanders overshadowing him or casting a shadow over him because... You know, as of today, it's like if you come from Fort Myers, you're never going to be as good as Deion Sanders. And so I kind of, I kind of think, I don't think Sammy will say this publicly, but I, knowing Sammy as well as I do, I think he wants to change that. I think Sammy Watkins wants to be the, the best player ever from Fort Myers. Yeah, and you got to think he's maybe one of the first guys in a long time, if not ever, who's got a realistic chance of, of achieving that goal. Right? I mean... It, well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And But the thing is, is, is you know, Dion redefined the cornerback position. 
And I think Sammy could be a guy that might redefine the wide receiver position and that he's got incredible hands. I mean, you guys have seen that in the highlights. But also, he sometimes he resembles a running back more than a wide receiver. Um, you know, even in high school, he used to line up as a wildcat quarterback because he can just plow through guys north-south style. Yeah, we talked with uh, Chris Burke about this earlier on the show. You know, it's a really exciting year for wide receivers entering the league, and they're all so different. You know, you got like a guy in New Orleans like Brandon Cooks, who's just a burner sort of, uh, and then you got Watkins, who's got the speed and the size. Beckham, uh, Benjamin, who's God, he's so long and tall. It's just really a great class with a, a bunch of guys who are different on the field. So it's an exciting thing. Uh, again, we're talking to David A. Dorsey, who's at David A. Dorsey on Twitter. The book is Fourth Down in Dunbar, and it's available on Amazon. I've sent some links out, and I'll send some more out for sure uh, as uh, as during the week as we promote this podcast. Uh, and he's kind enough to let us feature Fourth Down in Dunbar as part of the book club, and we want to thank you a lot for that. And uh, look, he's looking for an audience outside of Fort Myers, and it'd be an honor if the sportscasters could help him uh, find that. So before we let you go, why don't you just... If there was just anything you could say to someone, I don't want to say a sales pitch because that's corny, but why should people read uh, read uh, Fourth Down and Dunbar more than any other reason? Uh, oh, what's one reason to read it more than any other reason? Yeah, I mean, for me, if, if I were to answer that question, I, I'd rather you answer it. But, you know, my answer is, uh, like we talked about earlier, it's a football book, but it's not. There's so much more to it than a book about football. So that'd be my reason, but I think the author, he probably has a better one. <laughs> I uh, well, I want to uh, I want people to prove Thomas Edison right, <laughs> and Thomas Edison. Yeah, he's right off uh, the beginning you know, of the book. Thomas Edison used to spend his winters in Fort Myers, and I think even Thomas Edison is more favorite, famous than Deion Sanders. But uh, Thomas Edison said there is only one Fort Myers in the United States. And there are 90 million people who are going to find out about it. So, yeah, let's see if we can get 90 million people to read Fourth Down Park. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. <laughs> so, um, but that, that's, uh, I guess, uh, I, you know, here's another thing. As, you know, being here for 20 years, I used to always dream about writing for Sports Illustrated or writing for... Uh, the Tampa Bay Times or a bigger paper being an NFL beat writer. Um, and, but the thing is, is, had I done that, I would not have been in the living room of Sammy Watkins on draft night, or I wouldn't have been, you know, talking to Ernest Graham and his brother. I wouldn't have been in their, their living rooms of all these different guys and, uh, I wouldn't have had the book. I wouldn't have been able to write this book. So, um, all right. Well, one second. I wanna, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. One thing I, before I let you go, I want to ask you about. Take me back to the living room. Uh, so the Browns are on the clock, right? And that switches to the Bills. Does the room assume that he's going to be the pick? And what's the what's the response to that? What what was the honest feeling? Uh, not the can feeling, like you can't say, oh, shit, Buffalo. Like, you can't say that, even if that was the case. What did you sense when the when the screen switched from Cleveland to Buffalo? What was your sense oh, of the room? There was, all right, there was a, that, that room, the living room of Sammy's home, was, you know, 
I don't know, 10 by 10. Or, uh, there were probably 50 people in there, right? And um, that place just erupted and, and cheered. I, they don't, they didn't care what team he was going to. Uh, but one of his cousins, he had sent out something on Facebook the day before that the, that the Bills were going to trade up to get Sammy at that spot. And so this guy was running around crazy. <laughs> and he was so, he had like the Facebook thing on his phone that was time stamped. So he was running around to anyone who would look at him that he predicted it, that he was like the Nostradamus of the, uh, of the NFL draft. So that was, that was just fun times. And, uh, oh, and then, the, you know, that the cat, one of his cousins, other cousin was saying, you know, we don't expect Sammy to, to give us a handout, um, because we know that he's going to take care of us with the second contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like uh, from the start of how he's used the first, the second will be uh, will be very good. David, uh, thanks again for letting us be a part of Fourth Down in Dunbar. It really was a great read, uh, and uh, we appreciate all the time you gave us tonight uh, talking about the book. Thank you very much. I'm, I, I'm honored to be on your guest list, man. I look at your guest list, and I don't know how you guys do it. It's amazing, uh, amazing people on your on your past guest list, and I'm thrilled to be a part of the sportscasters. Thank you so much. That, that means a lot. I appreciate that. All right, I want to thank David A. Dorsey and all the guests for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. Uh, don't forget, you can find this week's episode and all our episodes on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Welcome Don back on Twitter at Don Like Sports. And you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Now, before we left, or before Don left, uh, we had offered some terrible picks. Yeah. Uh, to you, uh, I ended up going one, two, and one, uh, winning an Eagles game and tying a Bills game and losing on the Packers or the Bills and the Steel. The, the Bills. Oh Christ! Uh, mush mouth here. I won in the Eagles. I lost on the Seahawks and the Bills and tied the Packers. I'm six nine and one on the year. Uh, Don won on the Colts, lost on the Bills and Seahawks, and also tied in the Packers, making him seven eight and one on the year. Yeah, so that's, that's where we're at. Great. This is our right turnaround now. week, but uh, this week looks tough. Game of the week this week, if we are maybe not the sexiest game of the week if at the beginning of the year, but the 8-1 and one Cardinals are hosting the 7-2 and two Lions. Uh, Arizona's a one-and-a-half point favorite. I, I think if I believe what I said earlier and that it's not all about Carson Palmer there in Arizona, then I'm going to stick with the Cardinals. Uh I think they're a better team. I think I think that's all there is to it. Is there a better team than the Lions? And I think that this might be a rally around sure. Drew yeah. game. You know what I mean? This might be the week where we don't notice Carson just yet. Uh, it's it's more when you get to the third week he's out or the fourth week he's out that that kind of a thing. If it's going to cost the team, would. And you know the Lions are what? What'd you say? Seven and two. Yeah. They also got a gift from the Saints and the Falcons in back to back weeks. They shouldn't have won either of those games. They definitely shouldn't have won the Saints game, and they definitely shouldn't have won the Falcons game. They played the Dolphins really tight last week, too. They, they, 
they might be seven and two, but they're they're a soft dangerous. a soft seven and two, as I would put it. No offense to Lions fans over there. I'm gonna also take the Cardinals and lay the uh, point and a half. All right, uh, I guess I'll pick the Bills here. Look, I like the team as aggravated as I was with last week's game. I still think they're a really good team. I'm not sure at any point. Miami should be a five and a half point favorite. That just seems like a lot. I, I expect the Bills, even if they lose this game, to play it close. So I'll I'll take the five and a half points. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what I think about that Bills game, so I stayed away from it with my wild card. But I have to pick the Saints game. Just have to talk about the Saints, which I don't know if I'm prepared to do or not <laughs> just yet. I can't even describe to you what happened on Sunday. I I don't know what to say. Uh. They had a bad first quarter, and then they played an unbelievable second quarter, third quarter, and 12 and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. Yeah. The defense has been on the field now three times with a chance in the other team's two-minute to get a win, and they haven't gotten any. Their own three. Uh, and also then there's another loss in there, the Lions game, which didn't exactly involve a two-minute, but where the defense had a couple chances to protect what was a, a 13-point lead is, with is, six minutes left in the half. Is Rob Ryan playing out his Saints career right now? You know, yes. I mean, the problem there's is no they can still make they the can, playoffs. There's no way they can bring him I mean, back. They'd be in the playoffs right now. The defense is just too unorganized. Yeah. There's no organization, and the rhyme and reason to his blitzing is perplexing. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, but... I don't think the Saints are good enough to lay seven points to anyone. I don't care where the game is being played. And, uh, of course, the Saints... Just hope to be wrong in this one. Of course, the Saints are going to get a team who's played... uh, They've hit their rock bottom right before they play them. And they've done it (laughs) uh, with a chance to have extra days off in between to get healthy and to prepare for the mess that is the Saints' defense. Which, you know, in fairness, has been a million times better... uh, the last five games and the first five or how many have we played right. so far. But uh, I'm going to take the Bengals plus seven over the Saints. The Saints aren't good enough to lay seven against anyone. Cincinnati's such a bizarre team too, but, I mean, their losses have come to good teams. Um, my – what else do we pick? My primetime game of the week is going to be uh, – or worldwide leader we call it. Uh, I'm going to take the Sunday night game. I just think at this point – the Patriots are as good as everybody or as anybody. And since losing to, I believe it was Kansas City that embarrassed them. It was. And everyone declaring them dead, myself maybe included, Bills fans looking like, wow. We People dropping the Brady division. in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, since then, they've come out and blasted teams. Uh, with the exception of a, a weird Jets game that was really close, they have – just blown people out. Including Denver, who they blew out. Yeah. Uh, I know this is a road game. The Colts are home. Uh, but if I can get the Patriots with points at this point, as well as they're playing, I'll take it. So give me the Patriots plus two and a half. Speaking of weird teams and teams you can't figure out, the Steelers have got to be on the top of that list. Yeah. And uh, six points might be a lot to lay uh, with the Steelers, especially I don't believe it's a home game. I think, yeah, it is a road game against the Titans, but – what is there to like about the Titans? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I can't find anything, so I'm going to take the Steelers plus six over the Titans. 
All right, my random game this week. Where was it? Uh, oh, there it is. I am not a believer in the Texans. I know they're four and five. They, uh, I think the Bills let a one bad play in a game, let a game slip away from the Texans that they probably should have won. And I am kind of starting to buy the Browns. And the Browns are at home uh, with a lot to play for. That division's really good. Uh, the Browns can't want to be in the play. I've said this about the Bills this year. This is the type of game that if you want to be a playoff team, you want to end a playoff drought, you can't lose this game. And I only have to give up three and a half points, so I'll take it. Uh, a lot of guys might be extra motivated to play, particularly the receivers, because they might be fighting for a spot come next week when Josh Gordon comes back. So I expect the Browns to play a really good game at home, and uh, I will lay three and a half. I asked what there was to like about titans and we couldn't think of much if i were to ask you what there is to like about the buccaneers or the redskins we oh. probably wouldn't be able to think of much what either a lousy game which is crazy to me that one team would be laying seven points <laughs> no that just feels like a lot so i'm gonna take the buccaneers plus seven on the road against the redskins i could be dead wrong because this could be the day that rg3 reestablishes himself as a as a star in the league yeah maybe it, it just could be right yeah. the opportunity is there for him i think that's Probably how they explain the line. People are still betting on a on a guy from his rookie year. But to me, it, it feels like a lot of points. And uh, you know, who's uh, Mike Evans has, has been good. Yeah, yeah. Can you remember ever remember a year where there's as many rookie wide receivers making an impact the way they are now? And this might not be an exception. This might become a trend just because of the way the rules of the league are set up. Uh, we might see this more and more. But it's an unbelievable rookie class and. And Mike Evans has been a big part of that, obviously, when he's been healthy. Uh, so I I'll take seven points there. That seems like a lot. Yeah. All right, we'll be back next week.